Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Streets. My name is JJ Jackson. Joining me on the program today, I've got my good buddies Ryan Lavoy and Tom Peavy. We've got a fun show planned for you as I will be joined by Brandon Marcello at 3.30 on today's program. We're going to have your birthdays in sports. We're going to have a nightly TV guide. It's a Wednesday. Things are bound to get wacky a little bit later in today's show. So we've got an epic lineup for you and we want you to be a part of the program by giving us a call on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 Again, JJ Jackson here with Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy set to join us here in just a little bit. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, JJ, and uh, a lot of rain in the state of Alabama again today. Uh, obviously in our area it's been Raining for a few hours today. We had a brief power flicker at the station. Um, obviously, Auburn baseball got moved back again, and it's just been it's been a uh, very wet day. No uh, kidding. And Auburn now struggling against Kentucky, losing one nothing in the eighth, trying to get them back uh, to come back there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, been pretty eventful today, but uh, still enjoying the day overall and. Excited to be on another show with you today, and I know still a lot of things to talk about. I'm just glad we have the baseball game taking place right now. Auburn and Kentucky, first game of the SEC tournament for the Tigers. They've got to win to advance, obviously, and to get into that double elimination portion of the bracket. We knew that they were going to start at 9.30 but then this morning, but then all of a sudden, Rain was all throughout the Hoover and Birmingham area, and instantly we went into a delay before the game even started, and they weren't able to throw the first pitch of that game until 12.45 p.m., so just after lunch. And this was after making the decision last night to go ahead and postpone that Auburn and Kentucky game. Vanderbilt and Ole Miss did not end until the 1 o'clock a.m. Central hour last night there at the Hoover Met. So wild turn of events for the Tigers. It's it's been a rainy week. It's always a rainy week this time of year, and uh, here we are with the Tigers now finally getting a chance to play. Yeah, it's uh, as we talked about it in with good length yesterday. You kind of just have to play baseball when you when it's when you've got an opportunity to, no matter how late it is. And they obviously only got three games in yesterday because Auburn would have been the fourth. And they're not going to get four games in today, I don't think. Um, I mean, it's 3 o'clock, and we're still finishing here game one as Auburn and Kentucky play in the eighth. And you never know. It's a close game. If Auburn were to send it to extras or that sort of thing, that just pushes the timeline back even further. So, uh, to my knowledge, though, we, we, we talked about this. Kendall Rogers was talking about this yesterday. I, I have not heard – of the SEC canceling the double elimination element to the tournament, making it single elimination. So to my knowledge, 
the tournament's still going to function the way it was supposed yeah, to. I'm in the same spot as you. Um, so, but just just fighting through a lot of uh, a lot of delays, and, and as you said, yeah, a little over three hours later after they were supposed to start. I mean, that's a full game's worth that the Auburn game was delayed this morning and, and did not get to to start till three hours and what fifteen minutes after they were supposed to. So, I mean, that's a full game worth. We've got the Auburn Tigers in this game as uh, they just threw out a runner at the plate to get us to the. Eighth to end at the top of the eighth inning threat, but the final out was at the plate for the Auburn Tigers. Maybe that will give them the momentum that they need because obviously in this game uh, with Kentucky starter Sean Harney, you know he's gone seven innings against Auburn and only allowed four hits and and obviously uh, no runs. He threw three hitless innings against Auburn on Friday of last weekend series. Of course, Auburn just played this Kentucky team and only won one out of three. And so you combine it, that's ten shutout innings that Sean Harney has thrown against Auburn here in, in a matter of about five days and has only allowed four hits in those ten innings as well. So Auburn has just not seen the ball well off of him at all. And fortunately, Auburn pitching has been good today. You, you, th- you allow one run through eight innings. You expect to be in the ball game, and, and right now Auburn is. And, and I think that they are, are doing a good job of just trying to to just extend it out here. And the, the issue with them is is that they've caught a Kentucky team at a time in which Kentucky just won a series against Tennessee in the previous weekend, and that's always disappointing to, to – you know, when you play teams, ends up mattering a lot in long seasons like this. And uh, Kentucky is clearly a different team now than they were at the beginning of conference play. And anytime you beat Tennessee, I mean, again, they're the only team to beat Tennessee in a series this year, and that was the week prior to playing Auburn. So clearly, this Kentucky team has found their stride here at the end of the season and is is not playing like a twelver. Uh, yeah, 12 or 13 win conference team that they were in the regular season. An incredible relay to the plate. It was Kaysen Howe to Garrett Farquhar and then all the way to the dish for the tag to be applied to end the eighth inning. 8-4-2 on the putouts in the top of the eighth. Auburn will have Farquhar, Rambush, and DeShera do up. So this is going to be the opportunity for Auburn to tie this game up. Again, just one to nothing right now. The current score in this one. Talking about baseball, how about the Braves. Big walk-off win last night against the Phillies after falling behind in the ninth inning. Bryce Harper had a two-run homer to put him in front, but the Braves finally got a win. After the game is over on Braves Live, you hear a lot of those guys on the set talk about maybe this is a win the Braves can start to build momentum off of. The reigning World Series champs, those were the type of wins that we were accustomed to them having. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at the team situation and, and you say uh, you've really struggled to uh, hit for any sort of average this year. You, you, you've really struggled to put together a lot of hits because this team obviously uh, near the bottom of the lead in ba- league in ba- batting average. And you look at some of these guys that have all still hitting below 200. Austin Riley hitting an uncharacteristic 230s. Dan's being the 230s. I can go on and on and guys hitting below 250 on this team. And so ultimately, the team has struggled from that perspective. So it was really good to see, yeah, Kenley Jansen finally blew a save and Bryce Harper hit a, hit a moon ball on him. But it was good to see that 
you know, ultimately the Braves responded in a way that last year's team or any of the previous year's teams did with, you know, it's just a one-run game. You're not out of it because you are trailed by a run in the late innings, and they got a couple clutch hits, and unfortunately they were able to get the win. And, and kind of coinciding with that last night, the Mets and Giants played – about as crazy of a game as you can play. And, and if you're a Braves fan, you're happy the Giants have jumped out 5 nothing on the Metropolitans today. But, JJ, I don't know if you're aware of the game that took place last night. I so, did actually watch the highlights of this game because I saw Peter Moylan. I've mentioned him twice already on the show tweeting about how drunk it was. So I did right. see all the highlights of this. Uh, Giants led the Mets 8-2 going into the seventh. Then the Mets scored 8 in the eighth. Uh, or excuse me, eight in the seventh and eighth inning combined. Uh, to t- or excuse me, nine. I-, I can do better than that. Nine. And then took an 11-8 lead into the bottom of the eighth. Then Jock Pearson hit his third home run of the day to tie it at 11. And then Brandon Nimmo drove in a run at the top of the night for the Mets to retake a 12-11 lead. And then Peterson had a game-tying hit, and the Giants had a walk-off hit to win 13 to 12 and once again a game that they led at 1.8 to 2 then trailed 11 to 8 all within the span of about four innings so wild sequence uh, that that was kind of two wild positive results for the the Braves there but obviously the Braves it can't be too worried about the Mets I know the Mets are playing really well they're 29 and 16 and they're eight clear of Atlanta but Atlanta won't make the playoffs playing 500 or just below baseball so they got to work on themselves and uh, I think that was a nice win last night. We are a quarter of the way into the season, essentially, uh, just a game or two past the technical quarter pole. And so uh, it is time for them to start trying to figure out and play a little bit better. And, and yeah, hopefully that win will lead to some momentum for them. Three homers last night for Jock Peterson. He's already got one in today's game as well with the Giants leading 5 nothing, as you said, Ryan, over the Mets there in the first inning. So uh, he'd be nice to still have playing for Atlanta. He was a fan favorite, of course. Yeah, you remember uh, it was, what, a week or two ago you were asking me to power rank yeah. all the potential outfielders. And at that point I was telling you that Jock had gotten a little bit colder after a hot start well apparently he uh, had a conversation <laughs> with barry bonds yesterday uh did, i don't know if you saw that no, that yeah. he and bonds talked before the game and we're just chatting about hitting and stuff like that and since that that time he has four now four homers and 10 rbis he is now playing like barry bonds look at that in a uh, small sample size so uh yeah no jock is, i think that's 10 or 11 home runs now for him on the season he he's had a good season and san francisco is not necessarily the the, the the top of the list as far as hitters ballparks you have to you have to hit hard to get it out of there so uh, we know jock can do that so yeah he's he's playing well unfortunately some of the braves outfielders are, are still not uh and we'd love to have someone with double digit home runs right now like jock but uh the reality is the braves chose who they chose and they got to get rosario healthy here in the coming coming months and Acuna getting healthier and got to get Adam Duvall back on track as well. Let's take our first commercial break during today's program when we come back birthdays and sports and we get set for Brandon Marcello to join the show coming up here on Sports Call. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. 
Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy. Tom Peavy set to join us here in just a little bit. Brandon Marcella will be on our program coming up in about 10 minutes. Some Auburn news today. It was announced by the SEC and television partners that Auburn and Penn State would be played at 2.30 Central Time the third week of the year for this upcoming college football season. So we'll have more comments on that here in just a little bit. But for now, what we want to do is take a look at our birthdays in sports. Here we go. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports here today. As on May 25th, 2022, Norman Powell is turning 29 years old. A current shooting guard for the Los Angeles Clippers. Selected 46 overall in the 2015 NBA Draft out of UCLA. A 2019 NBA champion with the Raptors. He's also played with the Trailblazers. And at UCLA, Powell was first team All-Pac-12 in 2015. Happy birthday to Norman Powell. Miguel Tejada is a former MLB shortstop. He's turning 48 years old today. A six-time All-Star, 2002 American League MVP, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, 2004 MLB RBI leader. He played for the Oakland A's, Baltimore Orioles, Houston Astros, San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants, and Kansas City Royals before retiring in 2013. Miguel Tejada is turning 48. I know growing up for me, Ryan, this was one of the first like superstar players that I enjoyed watching on teams that weren't the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, he had such great power for a shortstop too. Like now it's more common and everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, you got Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts and Trevor Story, all, all these guys that can hit 30 home runs and, and that sort of thing. It's not as uh, unique, but ba- early 2000s, late 90s, I mean, that, that's still, you, seeing that, were you? you know, like, like <laughs> I feel like the Mariners, um, moved A-Rod to third specifically because they saw he had too much power to play short. Uh, obviously played third with the Rangers and the uh, Yankees primarily, so um, I guess he did play some shortstop after his day because he played Texas, but wh- whatever the case, he ended up playing third most of the time, and so you just didn't have a lot of uh, shortstops with that much power, and uh, Tejada had 30-35 home run power. Happy birthday to Miguel Tejada. Ruthie Bolton is turning 55. The former... WNBA guard selected by the Sacramento Monarchs in the 1997 NBA WNBA draft after playing overseas. Played college basketball for the hometown Auburn Tigers. Two-time WNBA All-Star, 1997 All-WNBA First Team. Two-time Olympic gold medalist with USA Women's Basketball. Inducted in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2011. And at Auburn, Bolton was selected as a Final Four All-Tournament Team in 1988. Ruthie Bolton turns 55 years old. Brian Erlocker is turning 44 years old. A former linebacker for the Chicago Bears selected ninth overall in the 2000 NFL Draft out of New Mexico. Eight-time Pro Bowler. Erlocker, one of the best linebackers in the 21st century. Uh, yeah, he was. He and Ray Lewis uh, probably went back and forth being considered most intimidating player, I feel like, in the National Football no League. No kidding. Uh, in those early 2000s and 
Uh, yeah, Erlacher, I mean, it, he led. I mean, he was the perfect player for the Chicago Bears. When you think the history of the Bears, you think defense. And all the great defensive players like Singletary they had in the right. 80s and, and – uh, uh, it just, just like that's that's what the Bears were like, and so, um, you know, he was uh, he was on the cover of my possibly favorite NFL video game, Two K Three. Yes, yep. Play. I, I if I, I played that game a lot PS2, too. Yeah, yeah. I played that game a lot. Happy birthday, Brian Urlacher, turning 44. Malik Willis is turning 23. He's a rookie quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, drafted a month ago in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Liberty. Previously played college football for the Auburn Tigers at Liberty. Willis won the Bobby Bowden and Dudley Awards. So happy birthday to Malik Willis, who turns 23. And then another Auburn birthday for you, Katie Johnson turns 21, a current guard for the Auburn Tigers, 2021 SEC All-Freshman Team at Georgia. Yeah, first on Malik Willis, I wanted to say, you know, again, it was pretty surprising to see him go in the third round because everybody had him going in the first round, but I think the NFL did a great job evaluating and say, wait a minute, just because he is the number two or three QB does not mean we have to pick him in the first round. There's not <laughs> the same quality of quarterbacks in this class. This guy would not be a first-round pick in other years. And, you know, Malik's going to have a lot of motivation because he's going to feel like he should have gone in the first round. And he didn't. He went in the third. And then he's also got a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, who's very average, by the way, that doesn't want to mentor him. Yeah. So uh, he he's uh, he's going to have a, a lot to overcome. I believe he can. And then on on Katie Johnson, um, you know what a spark plug he was. I, I know that he was he had plenty of struggles from behind the, the three point line and, and some offensive struggles at times. But there was also games where he just made the absolutely most important plays of the game. And so what a spark he was. And Auburn's going to be happy to have him back next year. It's our birthdays in sports here today on May 25th, 2022. Again, Norman Powell turns 29. It's Miguel Tejada turning 48. Ruthie Bolton turns 55. Erlocker turns 44. Malik Willis turning 23. And Katie Johnson turns 21 years old. Our birthdays in sports here today on May 25th. If it is your birthday, we would like to wish you a very happy birthday. All right, we're getting set to chat with Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports, formerly from Auburn Undercover, and also everyone in the Southeastern Conference currently monitoring the SEC tournament. Uh, we just got a pretty big update from the Auburn baseball game, Ryan. Yeah, about four or five minutes ago. Let me let me actually preface this. I'm going to drag this out a little, little longer than I need to. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, we were just talking about Kentucky's starting pitcher uh, in the first segment and how uh, good he had been uh, for the Wildcats. He'd hit, he'd had 10 Ten innings uh, Sean Harney had had of shutout ball against Auburn between last Friday and today. He, According to the SEC Network, he apparently banged his head in the top half of the eighth inning against the top of the dugout wall or, or against the back of the wall. I don't know. Banged his head on the wall, though, uh, celebrating a Kentucky play um, and came out to, to the for the bottom half of the eighth inning, threw two straight balls to the first batter and got pulled. Uh, so had some sort of head injury there. So they bring in a new pitcher, and with two outs and no one on in the bottom of the eighth inning, Sonny DeShera, Sonny D, a home run for the Tigers to tie this game up at one. 
They have a runner on with two outs in the bottom of the eighth and two strike count to Brooks Carlson. Uh, but the Tigers have tied the game at one. He's a pretty good baseball player. Well, and, and he needed that because we could, if we deep dived on the team a little bit, you know, he he's been struggling very and much. So he won Co Player of the Year in the SEC and is uh, a finalist for a lot of national awards. But the reality is, he's had a, a, a rough May and hitting in the one hundreds, as a matter of fact, over his last couple weeks of baseball. And and he had hit a couple home runs for his his few hits. But the reality is, this guy hitting over four hundred, that was hitting under two hundred here in the last uh, little bit of play. So. Um, you know, it's good to see him have hit another home run. Hopefully, he can get the, the just just the good old base hit stroke back too, so that he can get the average going again. Um, but obviously, he just came up with the most clutch hit of the afternoon thus far, and we'll see if Auburn pitching can continue to hold Kentucky down. I, Auburn did not um, did not score another run in the bottom of the eighth. Brooks Carlson did strike out, so that inning is over. We're going to the top of the ninth, but um, yeah, that, that I mean. Very clutch situation. No offense really to speak of for Auburn today. And then Sonny D uh, does his thing, hits that big home run, and Auburn just trying to make it into that double elimination part of the tournament, trying to redeem their two losses to Kentucky this past weekend. All right, in just a moment, we're going to chat with Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. We're seeing spring meetings uh, start to take place, and uh, we're seeing new schedule models for the college football world, potentially, as uh, it continues to change each and every year when more conferences join the league and that sort of thing. Ryan, I think we've got a good number of football topics to catch up on with Brandon Marcello. Yeah, absolutely, from scheduling models to NIL with Jimbo and Nick Saban. And, <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, you know what? I mean, we we've talked. We will end up talking about this until it's official. And also, I don't know when it needs to be official because you know Oklahoma and Texas are still not supposed to really be in the league till twenty five. So in theory, the league can wait a couple years, yeah. I, I guess. But um, again, I'd have to confirm. I thought the scheduling model was supposed to end after 23, though. So would it not make a lot of sense to try and, and find a way to get Oklahoma and Texas in for 2024 and start the cycle there? I, I'm not exactly sure, but but there's a, there's obviously a lot going on with the league these days. Let's get to it, then. Let's get to a break. Let's get to Brandon Marcello, who's going to join us here in just a moment here on Sports Call. J.J. Jackson alongside Ryan LaVoy. You're listening to WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger communications app sports call has been on the air since 1995 I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. You're listening to Sports Call on WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson 
hanging out in the studio with Ryan Lavoy as uh, all of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender as we use our Auburn Bank phone line right now to catch up with a longtime friend of the program, a good personal friend as well. It's our buddy Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports here joining us on today's program. Brandon, we appreciate the time. How you doing today? Doing good, JJ. How are you, man? Very well. Thank you for asking. Glad to get you back here on the program. As uh, Here we are, a few days shy of June, but uh, as is the norm, we, we rarely have any off-season in this day and age in college football, do we? No. In fact, I, I was talking yesterday, uh, <clears throat> football's year-round in the sense that there's always – I've got a, like my own calendar built in. We're in right now what I call business season which is the month of May and uh, a little bit of June where we're having all these spring meetings with these conferences. And this is when kind of decisions are made and the future of, of the sport are kind of laid out as well. So we take a look at some of those decisions that are being made, and obviously at the SEC level, that's where we've got the biggest focus here in Auburn. We know a couple of teams are set to join the league and that sort of thing. So just kind of catch us up to speed on on what exactly is taking place in those schedule conversations. Yeah, scheduling is going to be the big thing. It's going to be discussed at SEC spring meetings next week uh, in Destin. Of course, it's going to be a lot more talk as well about NIL and recruiting calendars and everything, but scheduling is priority number one. I'm not so sure that there will be a decision reach of any, any sort of official vote, but they're looking at a couple different scheduling models. One is an eight-game schedule. Another is a nine-game schedule. And it appears that both would scrap divisions uh, no matter what, though that is yet to be formally discussed or even presented, but it appears that's going to the wayside. Um, and also the idea that there will be pods also appears to be out of the conversation. So we're looking at an eight-game schedule potentially with one permanent rival and seven uh, teams rotating every other year, or not every other year, but seven teams rotating. Um, and then, of course, uh, the nine-game schedule is a little bit different. It's three permanent rivals and then six teams rotating through there on your schedule. Um, those are the two main uh, formats they're looking at, and that's what they'll discuss. They'll look at that and see what the future holds. What will be interesting really to me is to see if they're able to kind of reach some type of consensus or general agreement before uh, uh, actually having, say, OU and Texas's representation uh, vote on it potentially, but either way, this is something that would not go into effect till at least 2025, which is when Texas and OU are currently scheduled to join the conference. But um, there's really not really a push to get this done at the spring meetings. It's very possible that uh, they they just reconvene at some other point when everybody's got their ducks in a row and exactly what they want this rotation to look like. But those are the two big uh, presentations, I should say. Um, and then, of course, there's going to be some other things. I know there was a report out there earlier this week. I think it was this week or maybe last week about does the SEC conduct its own play, postseason playoff and all this. That's a lot of uh, big-time hypothetical type of conversations that will be had 
behind closed doors at these spring meetings when it comes to football. But um, I'm not expecting any huge decisions. So, listen, these are kind of unpredictable. That could certainly change if they all get in the same room and go, hey, I think we should go to nine games. Let's do that. Let's at least vote and say let's go to nine games. We'll figure out the logistics and the teams and everything after that. But, you know, uh, at least at this point, it certainly seems like things are narrowed down. And simply put, uh, there's going to be a lot more variety in scheduling uh, for teams in 2025 and beyond. So, so Brandon, I'll start with, with this question, and then I do want to do a, a follow-up about Oklahoma and Texas in particular, talking about the eight-game versus nine-game model. Of course, this is something that the league uh, and people around the league have talked about for a long time because some of these Power Five conferences have had nine-game schedules, but the SEC has continued to do eight, while maybe some of its coaches, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Nick Saban has said nine games would be appropriate in the past and, and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, what where where do you think the, the evolution of this conversation has gone to in the nine-game versus eight-game debate? Because obviously that, that's going to be what ultimately happens here is it will have one and, se- and seven rotating or we'll have three common and, and, and six rotating just based upon um, the, how even the numbers work here versus eight versus nine games. Yeah, I think what we're moving toward here is because the SEC is expanding in addition to the college football playoff will expand at some point. Um, and over this last year, we've gotten into this situation where these commissioners went from let's work together to oh, now let's go back in our own bunkers because none of us can really agree on anything. That you're trying to just protect the SEC and, for that matter, the ACC is trying to protect the ACC, the Big 12, et cetera. And so they're looking at, like, let's look at a – world where we're the only conference that quote-unquote exists what makes us stronger well we play each other more often and we don't go give five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars to another school just to have a extra game and a week off or whatever we want to make more money we want to be stronger uh, in the nation's eyes um, so let's play each other more often let's take advantage of our own product our own content Um, What makes the SEC network more money? Well, more SEC games, not more buy games, so to speak, where you're playing a non-conference opponent that's a group of five schools. So that's a lot of all that has really produced this talk to where we went from, goodness, two, three years ago of, you know, nine games was being discussed, but it was really a non-starter for a lot of people to now the point where, hey, it just makes sense, and maybe we should look and expand beyond that. Should we do our own postseason you know, playoff format? Forget the rest of college football right now because no one knows what the future holds for college football and whether the playoff will be in existence in the sense that will be a 12-team one or an 18-team one, will it be automatic qualifiers for every Power 5 conference? What does that look like? Um, so instead of worrying about everybody else, you got to worry about yourself and – the ACC's doing that. The SEC's certainly doing that. And so, simply put, boil that all down. The more SEC games, the better. And in the end, I think that unless something changes on a national level, uh, where we start seeing some things streamlined and a lot of agreement come in place, you know, nine-game schedules are going to become the norm uh, across the country. And then also, um, you know, you're going to see much more of a regional thinking uh, among these power conferences um, until 
maybe they're able to all get in a room together themselves after they figure out their own situations and go, hey, let's work together and do our own postseason playoffs. So, for example, I know I'm being long-winded here, but I talked to a couple of ADs, and the idea, some of the ideas thrown out there are, you know, let's do our own playoff maybe in the SEC, but also let's pit our champion in that playoff against the champion of, say, the Big Ten. Would the Big Ten be on board with that? They don't know, but they certainly would be willing to kind of at least push it out there. And again, it just all comes back to what helps them out. But, you know, if they if they want to pitch it to the Big Ten or the Big Ten vice versa, uh, you know, and there's money to be made, why not try to do it? Yeah, I mean, huge conversations here taking place, conversations that uh, have not taken place, if ever, at least not in a long time. But my, my other question for you, Brandon, and like I said, kind of revolving around Oklahoma and Texas, uh, originally, I mean, this Oklahoma and Texas feels like like what has started all this. I mean, their movement is, is huge for the sport and for all, all of collegiate sports, but especially, obviously, football. And uh, the, the thought has always been, you know, 2025 is the Big 12 is just not going to let them leave. Period, but but there was a, a thought that maybe Oklahoma and Texas would just force their way out, or, or the SEC would aid, aid with it, and that sort of thing. We've seen other teams kind of break their contracts maybe a year sooner in some of these smaller leagues and go ahead, and, and they're going to start this process a year early. Is it still firm that 2025 is going to be the earliest we see Oklahoma and Texas, or do you think there's still any way that the, those two get released a year early, per se? Yeah, that's the latest they'll, they'll be able to join the conference, but it's certainly possible they could join earlier. But that's again, that's that's a money issue. Uh, they don't want to necessarily have to pay, pay, pay the buyout uh, to get out of their grant of rights. And um, you know, if they want that lesson, the the Big Twelve has shown that they are not willing to negotiate down. Now, again, we're in such a state of flux right now in college sports, anyway. But the Big Twelve is about to lose its commissioner and they're searching for a new commissioner and with a new commissioner comes new ways of thinking so the new commissioner is like you know what you only have to pay 50 percent of your buyout if you want to get out earlier now the sec is perfectly fine just sitting there going we don't need texas and ou until 2025 let them play through there but if texas and ou are sick of sitting in that room with the big 12 and being pushed out of certain conversations and decision making and they're kind of impotent here for the next three years Maybe they would make a move, but I don't see the SEC office trying to get Texas and OU to join them sooner. I think they're perfectly fine with just sitting there until 2025, until uh, this all becomes official. Brandon Marcello is our guest on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. You can follow him on Twitter at BMarcello. So we've exited the spring portion of the calendar, spring practice, spring football, and that sort of thing. And a lot of people turn their attention to the transfer portal immediately following that nationally. A really big story with wide receiver Jordan Addison leaving Pittsburgh and looking for a new home. Where are we at in the transfer portal saga, Brandon? Has this kind of calmed down? Is it going to be that way or or will there be another surge? Yeah, no more surges. It should, that, that should pretty much do it. You know, the deadline has passed for people to be, for players to be immediately eligible. Uh, if they want to be immediately eligible, their next spot, they had, had to have already joined the portal, and that date's passed. So, you know, there's going to be some players that join, and some of them will try to get a waiver from the NCAA to be immediately eligible, but there's not going to be any more big waves. Of course, there are still players in the portal that are available, a lot of them, 
and a lot of schools need have roster spots to fill. So, for example, Florida and USC always come to mind right now. USC uh, very much still below the scholarship limit. Florida as well. They're trying to add players, trying to you know obey the rules in that sense when it comes to scholarship limits and also how many players can count back in their signing class. So, uh, you know, USC, I think they're going to add a few more. Same with Florida, but. Um, you're not going to see any really huge fish joining that portal or, for that matter, making any moves and, and signing with anybody like we saw here in the last couple of weeks with Jordan Addison. As we sort of shift our conversation to Auburn here locally on the Plains, of course it's a fan base that you know very well from all your years uh, with the Auburn undercover crew, Brandon. Or We learned today that that Penn State game in the third week of the season is going to be at 2.30 on CBS, not a night game like the Tigers' trip up north to take on the Nittany Lions a season ago. Several Auburn fans a little bit grumpy about the fact that it's not a night game, but talk to us a little bit about this decision and how you thought about the idea of Auburn and Penn State being in the afternoon slot. Yeah, it's like it makes sense and, and pretty predictable considering the TV contracts. Penn State has that deal um, to where their prime slot is in prime time, so that game went to prime time. Uh, the SEC's prime slot right now in this TV contract is the afternoon, with it being the SEC on CBS. So. Uh, that Penn State-Auburn game, no surprise, in the afternoon. So pretty predictable to see that coming. Uh, I wouldn't be too upset about it because it is what it is. It's written in the stars, so to speak. We all saw this coming because of the TV contracts, and um, I'm sure Jordan-Hare Stadium is going to be rocking anyway. Um, been to plenty of amazingly uh, loud games in the afternoon there in Auburn. Has the dust settled on the Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher saga? Publicly, yeah, but privately and, and behind the scenes, it'll rage. I mean, and it still is raging. And for that matter, you know, I think more than anything, what with that public spat just shows you exactly what these coaches, or not all of them, think of each other. But listen, like any uh, work environment or anything like that, or could comp- especially in competition. Not everybody likes each other, and sometimes they put on a public face and act like there's nothing going on or just out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, for the. Just lost connection there with Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. We'll try to get him back here in just a moment. But uh, it is interesting to kind of get his take on that Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban debate. Yeah, no, obviously that was a big conversation last week. Um, uh, it, I'm sure it will continue to be because of obviously the nature of these two schools and and uh, everything that will go into the October game and that sort of thing. And, and Alabama and A&M will, will be a night game and – it will be a, a a game in which should be hotly competitive, but at the same time, A and M still got question marks on their roster. They they bring in this historic recruiting class, and and uh, it was an incredible recruiting class, but also they've got to develop that pretty quickly, and so everyone will be looking for that game. So yeah, I think the conversation between Jimbo and, and Nick Saban will will continue, and, and now we've uh, we've got Brandon Marcello back on to uh, continue to talk a little bit about that Jimbo and and Nick Saban feud there. Yeah, it just it's private talk that made it public, and uh, I don't think that this necessarily is something that uh, just you know popped up in the matter of the last few weeks or even a few months. Uh, I think that uh, 
they put they got some truth serum in their in their in their system and they 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 were out in public for the first time so you know listen uh, coaches don't all love each other and or even like each other uh but they uh respect each other in the process enough to not uh go out there and say some weird things so that they might not sound like fools but just like anybody else they're human and they uh they have feelings and sometimes more rarely now though when it comes to major college football does that come to light but uh boy did it come to light last week yeah, no kidding. That was kind of crazy to watch it all unfold that way. Brandon, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. I know that we can probably snap our fingers. The next thing you know, it will all be in Atlanta gathering for the SEC Media Days. Looking forward to seeing you once again. Tell folks a little bit about the, the stuff that you're working on right now for 24-7 Sports. Yeah, I'm kind of just prepping for um, spring meetings and getting into that and getting to see all the coaches and the ADs there and uh, – should be interesting. Uh, these business meetings might sound boring, and they can be, especially when you're sitting in the lobby for hours waiting for people to come out. But um, always some very interesting things uh, to discuss and uh, looking forward to it. Is that what that is for you, Brandon? Is it really just showing up and just waiting yeah. for someone to walk by? Wow. Yeah, yeah. The ACC spring meetings I was at two weeks ago, and you're just sitting in a hotel and waiting for people to walk out and uh, twiddling your thumbs and trying to do work in between and. <laughs> Sometimes it's quiet for three hours. Sometimes it's a mad rush where there's like 50 people you're trying to catch, it seems like, for over a two- or three-hour period, and you can't get to everyone because you're literally just sitting in, sitting out there, and then all of a sudden, you know, 14 coaches come popping out of a room after a meeting, and you're trying to grab who you can, and some of them don't want to talk. Some of them do want to talk. Some of them want to talk off the record. Some of them have more interesting things to say. Uh, some are boring. Some... Uh, uh, or running off and trying to talk to just one person or two people. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's boring uh, to hear that, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just – I enjoy it. Yeah, and, and we love peeling back the curtains and hearing the great stories that you have. We'll save some of those for off the record and off the year. Brandon, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Are you looking forward to Stranger Things coming out on Friday? Yeah, it was. It coming out this week. I yeah. didn't know that. Wow. Sneaking yeah, up on I, us. I guess I've been out of the loop. Yeah, I guess. It's been gone for so long, I don't even remember what happened on the show. But yeah, Every episode greater than an hour. I'm, I'm preparing you, Brandon. It, it has gotten oh lengthy coming out on Friday. So. Whoa. I don't know. Oof. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, always good to catch up with you. We'll talk again soon, okay? All right. See ya. All right. That's our buddy Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. Kind enough to join us there. Those reporters are incredible. And the re- I mean, they get the news. And, and there's a reason that Brandon Marcello and a number of those people at the 24-7 Sports level are the first guys to sort of break those big stories about schedule models and that sort of thing. And then you hear about it, and they're able to break those news after twiddling their thumbs in hotel lobbies. Yeah. It's no, kind of sc- surreal. I-, I can't imagine having to wait. Because it's also – it's one thing when you're waiting a long period of time and you know what you're going to get and like you're really confident that you're going to get something good or you're just just in, in whatever it might be whatever it, it might be but to not know if you're going to even be able to use what they give you you know like it, it, you, if you go off the record you can't be reporting that you know so it's like man you could have to wait all day to 
get something that you can't really formally <laughs> use in an article it's like or awesome sort of i know this news yeah. and i can't share it yeah so that's 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 difficult that's a lot of dedication 334-887-3401 or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine jj jackson and ryan lavoy here with you in the studio just two or three minutes left in the opening hour of our program today as we go back to the auburn bank phone line joining us now matt from tallassee matt has called into today's program hey matt Hey, JJ. Hey, Ryan. What's up? Hey, buddy. What's up? Hey, man. Do you think Auburn can win the rest of the game? It's down 3-1 to one in the bottom of the night. Run out. It looks like uh, it's coming down to the wire against Kentucky. We know Deshira hit a home run to tie it, and Kentucky had back-to-back homers. The Wildcats were last in the SEC in homers. Blake Burkhalter was the SEC saves leader. Uh, not a good tweet to read from Justin Hokinson breaking down the action. But, uh, yeah, it does seem like Auburn's got their backs against the walls against Kentucky. you guys think Auburn can still host a regional? Yeah, yeah, I think it's very possible. I think um, it's just a little unclear where exactly they stand. Some people would tell you if they went on a big run in the SEC tournament, they could still host a super regional, be a top eight seed. But I think the chances are still overall pretty good that they host a regional. But this loss is certainly going to uh, make it a little bit more nerve wracking on Selection Monday. So, what do you guys think about the rest of the games coming up? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, uh, these games they're kind of <laughs> we're kind of having the reschedule all over the place. But uh, you got to start with Tennessee winning the, the conference tournament. That's the most likely outcome. Arkansas lost two out of three to Alabama on the final weekend, so they're maybe not playing their base best baseball. Florida's been play, playing a little better as late. LSU had a big sweep over Vanderbilt this past weekend to get to the four seed. So LSU's playing hot baseball, but ultimately, I think it starts with Tennessee. All right, Matt. Auburn has, last question. Hey, Auburn, hey, yeah, and I'll do the chair Monday. Yep. Hey, does Auburn have any nine game for football? Uh, we we don't know that yet. They they probably will at some point, but only the first couple games have actual uh, start times. That was our buddy Matt from Tallahassee joining us there on the program. Always good to catch up with him and appreciate his phone call. As that brings the first hour of Sports Call to a close here today, Tom Peavy joins us in just a little bit. We've got a Wacky Wednesday up ahead a little bit later in the program. Also got a nightly TV guide and a whole lot more. Alongside Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jack. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. 
We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app, J.J. Jackson, Ryan LaVoy. And we've got Tom Peavy here with us on this Wednesday. Auburn baseball has lost 3-1 to one against Kentucky in the SEC tournament. Tigers will now wait for Memorial Day Monday to figure out where they will be playing NCAA regional baseball. Our thanks again to a good friend of the program, Brandon Marcello with 24-7 Sports, for joining us today on the program. Always good to hear from him and the various things going on in the life of the college football world. We've got Wacky Wednesday still to come a little bit later. We've got a nightly TV guide several things that we'll get into and your phone calls of course at 334-887-3401 or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine tom how are you oh man i'm doing great uh looking forward to wacky wednesday as i have put this one together and uh you did a lot of prep and research and, and you're ready to go ready to go i i hope this one turns out well you've got an authentic smile on your face you're a little <laughs> giddy so uh I, that I, makes I'm, me feel good i don't see any jelly beans here so there, there's no jelly beans but there are a stack of paper over here with uh, some stories. It's going to be some story time with Tom. <laughs> story time with Tom. That's all we'll but say it, right but now. It, but That's all we'll but say. It's, but it's wacky. Okay. Uh, but I. Oh man, uh, Auburn losing three to one to Kentucky, one and done in the SEC tournament. Definitely not what you were hoping to see from the Tigers. And uh, I, I know, I know the question is going to be what happened. I, Auburn is just struggling at the plate right now. Uh, that's the only way I can say it. They are struggling at the plate. They have scored eight runs in their last four games, and that's just not getting it done. Um, they're not getting the timely hits they need. Uh, Sonny Deshara, who did have a home run in this game, but, I mean, Deshara has struggled mightily this month. Uh, and, yeah, the team, they're just struggling at the plate right now. Uh, you only give up three runs. I mean, the pitching performance was there to win if you only give up three. And through the Kentucky series, uh, the Alabama series, really even the Tennessee series outside of the first game, the pitching has been there for the Tigers. The The pitching has not been the problem. Pitching has been fine, but uh, for, for whatever reason, this team has just all of a sudden really started struggling at the plate. It has, and uh, we'll see if that changes going into postseason play. You certainly hope that's the case, but all of that, of course, remains to be seen. And again, on Monday, we will learn what Auburn is doing in terms of postseason play at the regional level. Big uh, big questions still about where that could be for the Tigers. You need all these conference tournaments to play out so the committee gets a full scope, full picture of the rest of the field. But I do think Auburn's done enough to, to be in the conversation to host a regional. Yeah, obviously will not be a top eight seed now their their only path to that was to make an, a nice uh, show of it this weekend in hoover uh, you do hope that they still host a regional uh it just depends on what you're looking at if you're looking at polls they will not if you're looking at rpi they will uh, and if it's a mixture of the two it's going to be right there on the bubble yeah. so um we'll we'll just have to we wait we'll see wait to, to see on money but you know i was talking about kentucky it, be, it being unfortunate that auburn 
was playing Kentucky at a time when they're playing their best baseball of the year. Uh, the fact of the matter also is that Auburn is now all of a sudden starting to play its worst baseball yep. of the year. And uh, it's unfortunate because it's at the very end. I mean, this is the, the wrong time to not be peaking and to be kind of backtracking a little bit, especially at the plate, as Tom said. You know, it's not been horrible for a long time. Um, they had a great series against Alabama. They were on the verge of a sweep until uh, Mother Nature called that thing off in the bottom of the fifth in a tie game. And, and then they obviously lost two out of three to Kentucky here and now make it three out of four when you factor in this SEC tournament lot. So it's not like this has been building for a long time because they had a uh, very respectable series against Tennessee, uh, won one out of three against Arkansas, but I believe they were in every game. Um, you know, and Arkansas is a top five team in the country as well. And then you, you – win both your games against Alabama, so effectively a short sweep of them. It, it was not in a bad place until this last week, and so you just hope that this this hitting, um, as, as Tom would say, is not necessarily a, a large trend, that it's only a week uh, of poor hitting and not a, uh, a, a really bad uh, spell here. But, um, but, yeah, it's just unfortunate timing again. Auburn has had this happen the reverse way. They've been – a decent team and then peaked in the in the postseason and gone on to uh, obviously make a college world series here recent memory and they were not a host team for that um so you know it's uh it's sometimes it's just about how you're playing at the end of a season and this last week is probably one of the worst weeks that auburn has had unfortunately this season look Let's go now to our Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401. Joining us now on the program, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve has called into today's show. Greetings, Steve. Well, good afternoon. Greetings to all you folks. I'm going to be uncharacteristically really, really short today, guys. All right. Thank you for taking my phone call. There, and uh, I'm willing to hear your, 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 your challenge to my comments, uh, Mr. Riley Boy, as always. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a better school in this country than making you think they're going to win and then end up losing uh, or wilting, as I say, in all sports uh, at the near the end of the seasons. Examples? Exhibit A. What do we do? We end up losing the last uh, four games remaining. Uh, what do we do in basketball? We, we, we lose the first game in the tournament in the NCAA, right? Uh, gymnastics, same thing. Uh, softball, same thing. And here we go. And here's the really, really, I mean, this ought to be the poster uh, for how, how do you lose to teams that are worst in your league? Kentucky, I know you probably know this, but I didn't know until I heard the announcer say it, is the worst team in the SEC in home runs. Right. They're last. They are last. Yep. And, they, and they hit two back-to-back home runs on us. Uh, think about that one. In the ninth inning doing okay. it. But let's not stop there. No 12th seed in this current format has ever gone on to win. They're 12 and 0, is what I saw on the uh, on the on the network. No, no 12th seed has ever won a game, guys. But you know, if anybody can do it, it's Auburn, isn't it? It does seem that way. I mean, a lot of those I would I would rebuttal a little bit because the men's basketball team went out in the round of 32. Uh, you said gymnastics, and they went to their first ever Final Four. Um, and I know that right now in the moment it kind of is tough, but baseball is a funky sport, and, and sometimes losses come your way. Well, come on. I know baseball is a funky sport, and Tom, I've heard you say, well, anything can happen. 
But good God, guys, okay, good God, you lose to a team that's last in the SEC in home runs. And they hit not one, but two back-to-back home runs against one of our, I thought, better pitchers, Burkhalter, right? He leads the SEC in saves, yeah. yeah. Well, if again, if, if there's a better school that can, you know, think, make you think they're going to win against mediocre and bad teams, the name is Auburn. All right, guys, I, uh, I said I was going to make this uncreatively short, so I thank you for your time. My time is way, way up. Uh, my thanks to you always for letting me come in and rant and rave. I'm through. I'm worn out. Hopefully, uh, I'll be stress-free for the next three months. Talk to you tomorrow, so then. That. Talk to you next time, guys. War Eagle. War Eagle. That's our buddy, retired War Damn Steve, joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. That was uncharacteristically short for, uh, for Mr. <laughs> yeah, Steve. He, he just wanted to... <clears throat> Vent it out for a little yeah. bit. As I'm sure many would would want to. And um, well, I mean, I I don't think he's going to be stressed. I, I I don't know if he's going to listen to this. Sometimes he does listen to our podcast, and we appreciate him and all those that do. Um, but uh, if he listens, if he still listens to the show, or if he listens to the podcast, Steve, I don't think you're going to be stressed free for three more months. This was not the end of the season. They will play in the NCAA tournament, and I'm sure we will all be stressed about what happens in the NCAA tournament. No so, kidding. So one or two more losses away from being stress free for the summer. But uh, yeah, you know, again, I would say, look, Auburn absolutely is dramatic. And I absolutely would say they're one of the most dramatic and heartbreaking programs in the country. I don't want to just flatly say, though, that they are the most of that because everyone that watches and loves their teams feels that their team gives them You can't judge that. You can't judge that. And so I can also say for teams that Auburn, for tough losses or for teams that disappointed in the postseason, I could give you the counterexample and say, yeah, this Auburn baseball team, what if they crash out in the regional? What if they don't advance? Say they host an Auburn regional and don't get, get out of it. Well, what about the regional that they won against, what was it, Georgia Tech? Yeah. And they yep. advance to a super regional against North Carolina, and they beat North Carolina and go to the College World Series. They weren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to win the Georgia Tech Regional if your name's not Georgia Tech. You know, you're not supposed to win the Chapel Hill Super Regional if your team does not reside in Chapel Hill. And so there's always going to be counters to it. Yes, Auburn basketball had an unbelievable regular season, and we certainly wish they would have gotten a lot more out of their postseason than what they did. They did not get much at all out of their postseason. But also, they've had a team in recent memory that got absolutely everything out of their postseason after having just an – a normal regular yeah. season, you know, and they won a conference tournament, went to a Final Four, you know. So it, it, it goes both ways. It, I I have found, and I'm guilty of this too, that a lot of people hold on to the losses a lot longer and more uh, more thoroughly than the wins. Unfortunately, it's just it's just I guess it's just human nature because I know I do it too. Uh, and so, but but the reality is, in the end, with a lot of situations and a lot of teams, it kind of evens out, and you can at least find examples on on both sides. I, you know, the one thing I want to say about baseball is they had already passed expectations for what the preseason, all the 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 their own the own coaches throughout the conference, and the national prognosticators for what they had for Auburn this year. Uh, Auburn already surpassed that. Um, they, I I, did, I thought they'd struggle to make the NCAA tournament. Period. Sure, 
Yeah, period. Uh, as did most people. I, I think most people figured Auburn was a team that would not make they would, uh, would a team that would not even make the SEC tournament, uh, much less the national tournament. I mean, they, it was a team that was picked uh, by a lot of folks dead last in the West. Um, they've surpassed expectations. They played above their head. Uh, the Tennessee series, Auburn had every chance to win that series. Uh, after that first game, which turned into an epic disaster, they had chances to win that one, and, and they weren't able to get it done. They had chances to win the Arkansas series, just weren't able to get it done. Uh, right here at the end with this Kentucky series and then the Kentucky game today in, in Hoover, uh it's just Auburn not playing their best baseball, and it, but it happens. I, I mean, it's just that's baseball. It, it's why they play so many of them. It, it is. It's why they play so many of them. And and yeah, to, you know, to what Steve said, I do say this in baseball. Yes, anything can happen. That's why you see teams lose midweek games to lesser opponents. That's why Samford has beaten Auburn plenty of times in baseball. That's U- why U- South U- Alabama two zero versus Alabama. This there year. you go. Uh, those do happen in baseball, and I mean, it, and and it is baseball is just so finicky that I mean, when you get into a little bit of a slump, it it tends to kind of snowball a little bit, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Sonny Deshar again, co co SEC Player of the Year, he has struggled big time this month. Yes, he has. Uh, and and then you saw today, I mean, the offense just you know, Sonny Deshar had a home run. But the rest of the offense just they can't get the timely hits. They uh, that Arkansas series they they just they left so many runners on base. They they would have guys on constantly, but they could not find that t- that timely hit to get them in. Um, just yeah, I mean, just kind of bad baseball at the worst possible time. Seconds ago from Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, who is essentially the Joe Lenardi of college baseball when you look at the postseason. Auburn Baseball's RPI only dropped a few spots, still sitting at number 10 overall with a 16-14 and 14 aggregate SEC record. Hosting still a possibility, but one and out here in Hoover definitely clouds things up a little bit. UK, meaning Kentucky, is up to 51 in RPI, so more work to be done for the Wildcats. That's the latest RPI update from Kendall Rogers with D1 Baseball. Yeah, I was just going to say Auburn 0 of 9 with runners in scoring position today. So the opportunities are there, but that's essentially one opportunity an inning and got to come up with a big knock. And and then as far as Kendall's tweet, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, if you you average out RPI, which is going to fall here around 10, and average out the polls, which say Auburn's about 21 or so. Well, what's half of 10 – or what's the, what's the difference of 10 and 21, 11? What's half 11, 5 and a half? So you meet in the middle. That's 15 and a half is your average. How many teams host regional? 16 host regional. So if you're kind of averaging them together, Auburn is right on that edge. If you care a lot about RPI and not too much about the polls, Auburn's going to host a regional. If you don't really care as much about RPI, which I don't think that's the case, but if you really care more about the polls than RPI, Auburn's not hosting a regional. So – um, that that's the frustrating thing here is is Auburn had opportunities against a team that's a bubble team in the NCAA tournament. Sure. To lock up a regional host and maybe get involved with with being a top eight seed and and they didn't do it. So they, they uh, we'll see how it it spits out on Monday for them. But but the reality is is Auburn. Uh, had, had an opportunity here to, to lock that up, and they couldn't do it. And then as for Kentucky, 
they and Alabama are having a very interesting race to see who can make the NCAA tournament after looking kind of left for dead here two or three weeks ago because Bama had that series victory against Arkansas last weekend and they won their first game in the SEC tournament yesterday. We need to take our first commercial break of the second hour of Sports Call here today. Your phone calls are still welcome. 334-887-3401. J.J. Ryan and Tom in Tutter Studios. We're back in a moment. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401. Or toll free at one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Welcome back into the program. You're listening to Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson with Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoy. Our thanks again to Retired Ward AMC for giving us a call a moment ago. We've got Wacky Wednesday coming up a little bit later. And uh, it's been a fun Wednesday show here as uh, we're kind of reacting to the Auburn baseball season uh, ending in league play. Which was not the fun. Tournament. That, that wasn't yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, well, off the air, we were reacting to something else. Yeah, we if were. Ryan would like to elaborate. I can't say the same words, though. That well, I you can elaborate. You can't quite say the, the, the words that you're saying <laughs> off the air, but... Are we gonna? Do you want to do this, Shady? You're more than welcome to do this. Yeah, two four seven. And I know usually the callers are the ones that get mad at this, but right. this is just flat out egregious. I'm sorry. Two four seven put out a top ten college basketball coaches in the country, and John Shire, who has never coached a game for Duke. I mean, I know he's, he's assisted the interim, interim for three games, right. but has never coached a game as the head coach. Is somehow tenth. And it doesn't matter who it is. If you have not coached a college basketball game, how could you possibly be ranked on any list, let alone in the top ten? I I guess it's better to say first. He has has coached games, I guess, for a season. Yeah, but it's like it's not his team, you know? It's not even even like this guy got suspended, so he needs to coach half the season. where's, Where's Bruce Pearl on this list? He's not in the not top on ten. it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just. I mean, again, that that's more egregious than any. I don't even. You think have a guy that has never coached a season at Duke. He's only coached a couple interim games. He's number ten, but Bruce Pearl should right. be on the list. I'm Bruce agree Pearl is not even on the list. A guy who has taken Auburn of all people to a Final Four. It, it's a ridiculous <laughs> list it's because because be. also I, I'll go ahead and tell as well. Number nine is Hubert Davis, and, and Hubert had a great first year at Carolina. I mean, went to the final, went to the championship game. It's still one full season. Like right. I, even, I, I mean, I, you can rank someone that's had a season, but to put them in the top ten above people that have done it for 15, 20 years just doesn't seem very. 
And it just seems disingenuous. Yeah. I just like you're just doing this because these are the big brands. You put Hebert nine, who at least is coached a year, but shouldn't be that high after one year, and then a guy that's never been the head man is ten. How, how do you know if they're good or uh, not? That, just, it it really sounds like a lazy. Uh, I almost said a poll. It, it sounds yeah. It really sounds like a lazy ranking that. Somebody didn't put a whole lot of thought and foresight into because, uh, yeah, I mean, you you just can't do that. And, again, I mean, you leave out a guy like Bruce Pearl. You can't tell me Bruce Pearl's not one of the top ten coaches in the country, especially what he has done at Auburn, a a, a school that had – A difficult job. A, a, a difficult job and a school that had almost zero basketball history about them has already taken them to a final four numerous ncaa tournament appearances bringing in just stupid recruiting classes the amount of guys that are going to the nba from this program you're probably about to have uh the number one overall pick in the nba come out of auburn for the first time uh how in the world is that not a top 10 coach and, but yet you're going to put a guy that has never coached a full season of basketball in at number 10. And that's, that's the thing. Pretty that stupid. You look at what he's going to be able to do walking in. Uh, and in a way, I guess I have the, the Duke goggles on and that's okay. Uh, no coach in the history of the sport has ever had the number one recruiting class before ever taking over as a head coach. And then, yes, he's at a program like Duke. So you want to discredit him in that regard. Whatever. I'm, a, I'm in agreement that it's too high. He shouldn't be in number okay. 10. Because again... A coach has to coach then, the basketball game. But people are also looking at, like, there are national championship winning coaches that are not on this top 10 list from 24 7 Sports. Jim Beheim doesn't make the list. Right. He's still an active head coach. All time winningest coaches in the sport. Bob Huggins is fourth at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make it on the list. Chris Beard, who took Texas Tech to Elite Eight runs and Final Fours and is now at Texas, is not at the list. We should just tell people what it is at this point. 24 7 Sports, top 10 coaches in college basketball a post they did today on their instagram feed number one bill self at kansas two-time ncaa champ uh, john calipari number two a one-time ncaa champ uh, scott drew at baylor number three has won one national title mark few at number four zero national titles but at gonzaga and doing big things tom Izzo, number five at michigan state has won one ncaa title double digit final four appearances tony bennett number six at virginia has won a national championship as a head coach. Number seven is Eric Musselman at Arkansas. Number eight, Kelvin Sampson at Houston. Nine, Hubert Davis. And ten, John Shire. The top ten coaches in college basketball according to 24-7 Sports. Kay and Roy retired and everyone just fell apart. <laughs> everyone didn't know how things worked anymore. I mean, like, because even Musselman's egregious in the top ten. Musselman's good, and right now he's really good. But, like, again, are you seriously going to put him over Bob Huggins? Like, really? I mean, in the scheme of things, really? Uh, and Jim Beheim. Like, I know Grandpa's had three or four rough years in a row. I know he is just he, – he's started to fall by the wayside. But there's also a reason he's coached at a major program for 40 years, you know? And, like, he's literally, like – pioneered and continued to stick with the zone for years and years and years and kind of perfected it so there's a, a lot of weird things on that list and sure. again like i said I, and i'll throw my own i love hubert davis hubert davis has as good of a first year as you can have but 
uh, again, there, you've got to coach the game of basketball for a little while before you can clearly be put above other people. And then another name that's not on the list that I'm seeing in the comments here is a Final Four head coach, a multi-time conference champion and the reigning SEC tournament champions, uh, but Rick Barnes at Tennessee yeah. is not in the top ten as well. Sure, I don't love, I don't love Rick Barnes. I think he doesn't do a, a, get his teams very far in the NCAA tournament compared to what they could be. But over a couple of these guys, again, it's someone that's coached for twice. You would have to term this your top ten coaches like projected for next year or like the top ten coaches this second. I, I guess it still wouldn't make any sense because, again, how do you know John Shire is going to be really good? He's not coached. So, and, and then again, well, a guy with one year on there. Um, I, I don't usually get as mad about these rankings, but I mean, it's, it's this, this is pretty egregious. This was pretty. It's it's stupid. Hey, Eric Musselman is on that list. Is what? Yes, what you he's said? seven. He's seven. I mean, and the entire country. And Calipari, and, and Calipari is obviously on there. Two. Yeah. So two. So you're so this, according to this list. Calipari and Musselman are the two best coaches in the SEC. That's what this list says. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you Calipari. Maybe, 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 I'll maybe they you. have more respect for Auburn as a basketball program than I uh, realize. Yeah. And say and say beforehand was not the dumpster fire that it so clearly yeah. was with Tony Barbie. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, I, I'll give you Calipari. I mean, yeah, sure. But why the why the hell is Eric Musselman on there? Because he beat him at home this year. I mean, like, a, what is that? Like, Musselman had he had a, he had a good year. They're off. Yeah, I mean, like he's doing a good job. Sure. I'm not trying to crap on the dude, but like he had a good year at Arkansas this year. But I mean, what what has he accomplished? What major things has he accomplished with that Arkansas well, basketball he was program? Yeah, uh, head coach of the Golden State Warriors twenty oh, years ago. The Sacramento Kings. Uh, and John Rothstein has a cool nickname for him, the Importer. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I mean, but what is like, Eric, but what has Eric Musselman right. accomplished? Yeah, it's a twenty four seven sports top ten active coaches in college basketball, and you know, we have some problems with a lot of. We the need list. to call them and say they're stupid. There's a ton of. I mean, let's <laughs> get let's get Brandon Marcella back on uh, back on, and even though he's primarily football, he needs to explain. explain like, this tell us what's for the going on, Brandon. We need to know who your basketball guy right. is because we need to crap on him right now. Mick Cronin at UCLA took them to a Final Four a season ago. I mean, I'm just trying to I'm trying while. to think of uh, of other coaches that were not. In oh, the I've I've there. just been blinded by anger the last few minutes i've not been i'm sure i could cook up some others for you that would be uh, more ed cooley was the national coach of the year at providence he uh, doesn't make it on the list they compete um, big east very well uh the head coach from loyola chicago that has porter moser that's oklahoma now yeah porter Porter moser yeah i mean i'm just saying all these people have won more games than john shire has and that's where this whole thing started is they have a guy at number 10 that has not even coached a full season of college basketball he is literally coached as a, on an interim basis for what, three games. He's replacing the goat, though, so he's I, still. Well, then obviously he must a, not be the goat because obviously he had a top ten coach sitting on his staff to help him out the last all, several years. All the more reason, all the more reason he should not be top ten. <laughs> I'm in agreement. I just I mean, one, I like to push buttons. And two, look at what happened at North Carolina when uh, when Dean Smith left. 
They, it took them a while to finally find somebody. Yeah, Doherty was all. And, the first guy, Guthridge, was fine. Guthridge right. went to a Final Four with Dean's players. But then, right. yeah, we hired Doherty, and that's the worst coach in North Carolina history yeah. by far. It, it, took, it took North Carolina a while to to find the guy after Dean. And then, and then you you know, you bring in Roy, and, and yeah. you know. We're great again, yeah. But I mean, but he was already established. He, Roy Williams yeah. was already an established guy who came there. But it took a little bit for North Carolina to find that replacement for Dean Smith. I hope Duke tanks, man. <laughs> I'm sure uh, you I, do. <laughs> I hope they do. Don't, I don't, don't, they don't say this to the guy sitting across us oh, wearing a Duke basketball oh, shirt right now. He knows. I can look him straight <laughs> now. JJ, I hope Duke loses every game they play next year. <laughs> There's no doubt. I hope they lose every game. I love They you won't. Too, They're probably going to win about 90% of their games or 85% of their games, but I genuinely hope they lose every game. Well, we're sitting here having a discussion about how this guy's not top 10 and watch him go and win the national yep. title next year. It's like, wait. Play it back. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. To cover, to cover everyone's tush right now. This is as of 2022. This is, we are not projecting who will be the top 10 coaches in five years. It is as of right now the concept of someone that has coached three games and never as the actual full head coach should not be on any list, anywhere near list, because it's invalidated. How do you know? Do you want to fix the list? Do I want to fix the list yeah. and rank the re- real top 10? Yeah. And or do college back. football? Well, we're going to do some college football lists this summer. I mean, uh, why not start now? Well, because I'm not prepared for it. Well, I'm not either. I, I we're can't, not prepared someone, for either of these. Someone, if someone will get mad about college basketball, but they won't get that mad. If I misrank someone college football, I'm going to hear about it for a long time. It's, you oh. know it's more important. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I would put him on the list according to everybody else. Well, well first of all, I, uh, Musselman – I I don't see I don't see any reason why Eric Musselman should be on that list. Nope. So that's that's one that's out. Um, I, I'm sorry, Bruce Pearl, and and maybe I'm just looking at it through orange and blue glasses. I, I don't see how you cannot rank Bruce Pearl as one of the as I, I I'm sorry I can I cannot see how you do not put him as a top ten coach. Uh, I mean, it's a guy that has already taken a program to a Final Four that has has never had any business doing that. Bringing the top recruiting classes, sending dudes to the NBA left over right, again, might very possibly have the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. How how has Bruce Pearl not accomplished a top ten resume and then what he did at Tennessee on top of that? Why why is Eric really Musselman, impressive. Why is Eric yeah, Musselman like a top ten coach? But Bruce Pearl is not. Like they, Eric it makes Musselman, no sense to me. listen to this. And again, this is good stuff so far. Okay, again, this is not like Eric Musselman is trash and Arkansas sure. is gonna roll over here next year. At Nevada, uh, most recently, before taking he did the a Arkansas good job, job at Nevada. He got them relevant. They made a Sweet Sixteen. He and won as you 20. guys joked a little earlier, was right. an NBA head coach. Right. A while which back. does not impact your college ranking, which is why the joke was made. And so 28 wins or more three straight years in Nevada, that's great. And then 20 and 12, 20 and 12 in Arkansas, no NCAA tournament, 25 and 7, Elite 8, and 28 and 9, Elite 8. So you're basically saying great job for three to four years at a mid-major and great job for two years and Arkansas gets you top ten in the entire country. Everyone's coach much suck then, you know, because that that is only about two hundred and forty coached games of college basketball. And again, that's why like seven, nine, and ten 
Seven Musselman, nine Hebert Davis, ten John Shire. Just objectively just should not be on the list, especially nine and ten for and not having coached a long time. But it's it's like they're doing top ten hottest coaches right now or something. I like I don't I don't know. I'm just I'm just I don't get it. No. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, you know, Bruce has not done things that are un absolutely unheard of. But again, the difficulty at the school of which he's done them, because again, you're looking at what Auburn was compared to. I, I look in college football all the time, and I give it a few years for like when Lincoln Riley replaced Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, and when Ryan Day replaced Urban Meyer at Ohio State. You got to give that a couple of years. To their credit, they both did excellent jobs. It was as if Stoops and Urban Meyer had been continuing on at those schools. They did every bit as good of a job in the tenures that they've had either so far or in Riley's case had uh, in the past tense at Oklahoma. Um, and, and so you look at that and you got to wait a few years on those type of situations. Bruce came into a situation where I mean, you, you this kind of success was wishful thinking. You, it was just hoped that Auburn would be relevant and start to make some NCAA tournaments again, not to get top ten recruiting classes and to send people into the NBA first round uh, and into the lottery almost every single year and make the first ever Final Four in the state of Alabama's history. So that the difficulty of what Bruce has done is not really being correctly appreciated. I get that he's not had 15 Final Fours or two national championships, but again, he's not at a school that's known for basketball. He's not even at a school that basketball is the most important thing at, and I think that's an underrated part because all these other guys, look, have you seen Kansas do anything else other than basketball? Right. And, okay, this is not – saying Bruce Pearl over Bill Self, God no. But it's just simply saying these other schools, this is their football. Auburn hoped to be good at basketball, but it has always been a football school. And now we have all the jokes, now it's a basketball school, but it's not. And so it's really tough combined with no real great history other than the 80s and a few teams in the 90s. And being the number two sport at a university compared to these other schools like Villanova, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, etc. Let's take a commercial break. On the other side of this break, we've got a couple of phone calls that are calling in that we'll get to. We've got a two-minute commercial break, and then we're back with your phone calls right after this on Sports Call. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au i'm brian harson head football coach of the auburn tigers and you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 up hour number two of sports call here today on tiger 95.9 fm jj jackson inside the studio with tom pv and ryan lavoy 887-3401 or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine joining us now james from montgomery james has called into the show hi james hello and war eagle war eagle yeah i was just watching um a little bit of the 
baseball game between Auburn and Kentucky, and did we win against Kentucky or did we lose that game today? Lost three to one. Uh, well, at least I could say that we had a really good season this year for 2022. Maybe the guys may make a comeback, uh, may make another comeback at Hoover, Alabama in 2023 as well. We still got the NCAA tournament left, though, James. The, the SEC tournament is over, but this Auburn baseball team, the season is not done yet. They get to go to the NCAA tournament next week. Okay, so who will be playing in the first round of the NCAA uh, tournament? We don't know yet. We'll learn on Monday. But if we win our first regional uh, next weekend, then Auburn will get to go to the Super Regionals and they would be two wins away from the College World Series. So this team is still trying to make a run to Omaha to play in the College World Series. Okay, because um, I'm looking at some of the teams that we played on our schedule that we might play for the NCAA tournament. I'm looking at probably a good matchup between Auburn and Troy. I would like to see that matchup again. Why? Well, because it's um, I think it was like a really good game between those two schools. And... Um, you know, with those two schools actually being um, on on different sides of the uh, college uh, bracket, I think Auburn might take another take another run at Troy as well. We will see. I mean, that'd be a fun matchup if Auburn were to get that to open up NCAA regional play next weekend. Tell me something else. Yeah. Oh, I am so excited for yesterday. My Dallas Mavericks they beat the Golden State Warriors, and actually we're taking it back. This Thursday on Game 5 to actually take down three games to two. So that would be a really good uh, a good matchup on Thursday. On Thursday night to see my Dallas Mavericks to actually win in Golden State and uh, to actually beat Golden State to actually knock them out from actually advancing to the NBA Finals as well. Got a lot of work left to do. They still got to win three straight games to be able to advance to the NBA Finals, but at least they got one win under their belt, and now uh, they'll continue to play with house money and see what they can have happen. Yes, as well. And then I am very excited for my Dallas Wings. We actually won on uh, last night, and um, I think we played uh, the – Connecticut Sun, so we beat them again. We beat them already, so we'll play them again uh, this week. So I'm hoping and keeping my fingers crossed that we are actually going to win the whole season outright. So it's going to be a really tough uh, season for those uh, Dallas Wings as well. Yeah, they won 85-77 last night against the Sun, and the Wings are now eight and two, or excuse me, five and two on the season, and they play the Sun again tomorrow night. Yeah, so I'm thinking we might win tomorrow night, and I'm going to just see how uh, some of the girls, some of the ladies on that team will actually do really good things for me as well. So I'm going to be watching that game on on, on YouTube. So I'm just going to, you know, like, you know, watch it as, as, um, as it comes, you know, available as well. Yeah, it'll be fun to check out and see how well they do in their game tomorrow against the Connecticut Sun. Anything else on your mind? Uh, yes, I know that the Atlanta Braves will be playing uh, later on today, so I got the Braves' favorite to win, and I am going to be watching my Tampa Bay Rays and seeing uh, if we're going to win. So that would be a really good thing for us, 
for the uh, Montgomery Biscuits fans to actually uh, take in um, a look at the Tampa Bay Rays as well and seeing if we're if they're actually going to win for for this week uh, game at home as well. So, who are your three favorite Major League Baseball teams? Um, well, actually, I'm a Texas Rangers fan, so that's my main. Okay, number uh, one. That's my main uh, team, and number two would have to be the uh, Tampa Bay Rays because I'm actually a Biscuits fan, so I actually watch them as well. So that way, I know, you know, some some names from that uh, Biscuits uh, lineup that they used to play for the Biscuits. So that's why I'm uh, watching them for the Tampa Bay Rays as well, and um, my number. Three favorite team. My last team that I have to say would be the Atlanta Braves. Okay, awesome. We can agree on that. Yeah, because it's our it's our own our own little circle, you know, because we have a a whole thing of of um, of Braves fans in our in our family circle and Auburn as well. And they're the reigning World Series champions. The Braves won the World Series. Yeah, so I'm thinking we might make it. We might make it again this year. I hope so. I hope so. They got to keep playing good baseball. Need some guys to get healthy, uh, but uh, it's looking good right now. Yes, it is. It's really looking good as well. And um, some NFL news. I've heard that Colin Kaepernick he just got signed to the Las Vegas Raiders, so he's actually going to be playing this coming up season. So I'm a hope. I'm yeah. hoping. And we seeing. can't jump the gun too yet. Too close. He he just had a workout today. Yeah, so, so I'm a, maybe well, they'll yeah. sign him, but uh, it was just a workout. Yeah, so he he's looking good on the workouts. So I'm pretty sure that um, they're gonna see great things coming out of him as well. It'd be fun to see him back in the sport if he were to get that opportunity. Yes, as well, because I know with the NFL season coming around, uh, right around the corner, and I'm going to be so, so happy to see who I'm going to be putting on my 2022 fantasy list this year. I'm hoping I might pick some guys from Auburn that might uh, score some points for me for the fantasy uh, league this year. Yeah, on the offensive side of the ball, no wide receiver Darius Slayton uh, will need him to score a lot of touchdowns so that Darius Slayton can be a good fantasy pick. Yeah, so I am actually uh, going to be picking him. I think he's still with the Giants. I'm yes, not, very good. <laughs> yeah, he's still with the New York Giants. So I'm going to put him as well. So that's going to be um, – I'm going to put him in the um, wide receiver spot as well. So that will be my first pick right off the board as well. Anything else on your mind today, James? Um, no, I don't have any NASCAR news or uh, golf news today. But The Coca-Cola uh, oh, yes, 600 I, is this weekend. Did you see that? Oh, yes, I did see that, and I am going to be watching that this weekend, and it's going to be very, very awesome. So I've already got my NASCAR fantasy uh, lineup already ready to go for that Coca-Cola 600 as well. Who are your three lineup drivers for NASCAR? Um, well, I have, I have, sitting in the garage, I have um, my favorite driver, uh, number 23, I have uh, Bubba Wallet, uh, Watson. Bubba Wallace. 
Yeah, Bubba Wallace. I have him sitting in the garage. Um, who else I have? I have Chase Elliott. I have Martin Truex Jr. I have um, mm, it's so many. It's so many guys that I actually picked. So um, I have Kurt Busch, um, actually favorite to win again. Um, and who else? Uh, I think I had and Andrew Armadola, if I'm saying his name right. AJ Almendinger. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or or AJ Eric Almarola. Maybe you're saying Eric Almarola. There's a couple hard yeah. names there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually I have him in there as well, and I have two um, good favorites from last week's um, All Star race that I just put at the very top. But I'm not quite sure how they're going to do. Do you know where the Coca-Cola 600 is raced? It is actually raced in Charlotte, North Carolina. Back right in my home of, state. Yes, right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the home of the um, Universal Technical Institute program, which houses um, a lot of um, students out there in Raleigh, North Carolina, where that's the home base of um, of NASCAR uh, school out there. Yeah, Charlotte is where the NASCAR Hall of Fame is, and it's actually about three hours away from Raleigh. Uh, and Raleigh is where NC State University, the Wolfpack, that's where they're located. But you got a lot of NASCAR people there in the Charlotte area, so it's going to be a home race for them. Yes, as well, and I would like to take a look at the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, someday as well. Yeah, it's a good trip. You should absolutely go check it out someday. I think you'd have a good time. All right, sounds good, and War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, it's always good to hear from you. That's our buddy James from Montgomery joining us on the program, and that's going to help us bring this hour of Sports Call to a close. Alongside Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy, my name is J.J. Jackson. Two hours in the books, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started today on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy. We hope that you're having an enjoyable Wednesday. We've got a fun final hour of the program planned for you. But before we get started, let's have our daily show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? 
It is, in fact, time for our daily show recap. On today's show, we recap the Auburn baseball game against Kentucky in the SEC tournament. Unfortunately, it came to an end with Auburn on the losing side of things. Tigers fall 3-1 to one against the Kentucky Wildcats in Hoover. Yeah, yeah. we just talked about the uh, struggles Auburn's having at the plate. Uh, left nine runners in scoring position in this one. Uh, it's kind of uh, something that we've seen happen to this team lately is just not being able to get the timely hits when they need it. And uh, it's unfortunate, but there's still uh, there's still NCAA tournament ahead of them, and uh, we're hoping Auburn will still be able to host a regional. This just puts things in a little less certainty as it would have been if Auburn had been able to at least get a couple of wins here in Hoover. If we want to be technical with our daily show recap, when we first came on the air, the game was still going on. It still had not been decided yet. And what we talked about right out of the gates, and you of course can go listen to this on our Sports Call podcast, what we had talked about right out of the gates was the fact that Auburn was actually playing a baseball game. Because yesterday it was rained out. They not postponed. They finally finished the third game of the day at 1 a.m. Central Time. Auburn was supposed to play at 9.30 a.m. this morning, but they had a rain delay and didn't throw the first pitch until 12.45. The weather still looks terrible in Hoover, so it's going to be really interesting to see how the rest of the tournament shapes out. We talked with Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports about the big headlines from around the world of college football, and then we had a good discussion about 24-7 Sports top 10 college basketball coaches uh, this past or going into this upcoming season was a list that they put out there. It created a lot of conversation and we've had a lot of good phone calls. So here we are on this fine Wednesday and as we do on Wednesdays in the final hour, we tend to get a little wacky. So are you ready to do that, Ryan? I am, indeed. I'm ready as well. Uh, Tom I think has Tom, put a lot of prep. He's got a this. big smile on his face. I, I want to be. I want this to be good just on his behalf. Uh, last I, week we I did things want to our ponder. Other crew in here to hear these stories. They'll. Uh, we can get them to. I'll. I'll message them to. If you want to go I, grab. I'll them. go yell at them. Yeah, go grab them. Tell they, them to they come need, bring the they, party to the. This is, they'll this sit is, out in the yeah. lobby in the couch and that. Yeah. And uh, this we'll is go so there. good that everybody needs to hear these stories. Yeah, we'll see who's uh, who's <laughs> making their way over here. All right, let's get going. We uh, let, let's waste no time here. We're gonna actually go the rest of the way. We're gonna go the full distance and we'll leave. Uh, our spots to be played at the end of the hour. So you've got uh, yeah. no breaks interrupting you here, Tom. No breaks. Okay. Well, on this Wacky Wednesday, we're going to be discussing some things. So uh, a lot of times in the world, truth is better than fiction. And so these are some stories that I have been able to compile, and I have researched them to make sure that they are accurate. And from everything I can find, these are very accurate stories. So truth is better than fiction type stuff now jj what i want you to do is you're going to help me pick out what i'm going to read first so uh do you want spooky do you want uh odd coincident do you want a famous person or do you want i don't want to say sad and depressing but kind of interesting in that type of way uh let's definitely end on a higher note so and i want to get spooky out of the way so if i can if i could pick the, the order let's go spooky yeah. and then maybe sad and depressing and go all right so we go want in that spooky. direction yeah all right here Spook we go me out here tom in 2008 a japanese man living alone in kashua kept having strange occurrences inside of his apartment 
Periodically, the man would find things missing from his kitchen. Food and drinks would suddenly be missing from his refrigerator. The man was confused. Had he actually eaten the food and drank the drinks that were previously here? But he put the thoughts aside as a mistaken memory. However, it happened again. And then again. The man could not for the life of him figure out why the food kept vanishing from his kitchen. Plus, kitchen items would be moved to different spots from where they were left. He thought maybe he was sleepwalking at night, or could it possibly be a ghost? Not believing in the paranormal, the man felt certain he had burglars breaking in and stealing from him. So every time he left the apartment, he would double check and make sure his doors and windows were locked tight. But the weird, occur- uh, the weird occurrences continued. Food would be missing, drinks missing, plates on a counter that weren't normally there, silverware not where it was supposed to be. The man was beside himself with what could possibly be happening. This went on for months. Finally, the man decided to install some security cameras inside of his apartment, linked to a cell phone. Surely this would put an end to the mystery. Shortly after the man left the apartment, his phone came to life, and what his cameras captured were remarkable. But it was no ghost. It was a real person. A woman appeared. She walked into the kitchen, opened the refrigerator, got food and a drink, went, sat down on the man's sofa, and turned on the television. She sat there for a while, eating and drinking, and enjoying a TV show. Then she got up, cleaned the area around her, threw everything away, and vanished from sight of the cameras. The man called the police, reported what he saw as a burglary. The police arrived, but found no open or unlocked doors. No open or unlocked windows. They called the man back and explained there was no way anyone broke into his apartment. But the man was adamant he had seen a woman on his security cameras. So the police continued searching. Finally, after an exhaustive search of the apartment, police found the culprit, 58-year-old Tatsuko Horikawa. Horikawa was found in a small space in the upper part of the man's bedroom closet. There, she had a small mat with just enough room to lay down. Amazingly, the woman had been living in the man's closet for a year. (laughs) What? Horikawa was a homeless woman who needed a place to sleep and one night randomly found the man's apartment door unlocked, so she entered. She found her hidden spot in the closet and lived there for a year until being discovered. She even used the man's shower and toilet while he was away, but always made sure to clean up after herself so as not to be detected. So this woman lived in this man's bedroom closet oh for a year. Oh man! <laughs> I, th- this is not how real life works, but I I think if you can pull that off, you should just get ownership of that apartment. That <laughs> yeah. that man has to leave, and she stays. Wow! How? I, and that's the thing. It's like so crazy. I mean, like does this guy, woman just make observations to just know his schedule that, that you know he's I, not going to randomly one day? Well, yeah. Think about it. I, I mean, mean, she's it, living there for a year. I'm sure she did get to know. The, the, the first odds. few de- the first few days have got to be difficult because you've got to learn the schedule. But once you yeah. learn it, it's going to be down pat. And also think about if you can listen to conversations. Like if something abnormal is going to happen and you're on the phone, it's like, oh yeah, I'll meet you for lunch. I don't have this today, or yeah. Yeah, I you know I, I'm gonna go out uh, to with my friends tomorrow night on Saturday night. You know you can plan or you can hear those conversations. I, I, the schedule might change. I think right what, there. I think what would be more difficult is like if she was up there in her little crawl space in the closet and had to go to the bathroom, but he was in there, and it's one of those like, oh my gosh, yeah. what am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah because be okay, the, you have the to, hardest. You have to, 
pause every bodily function yes. around him. The hardest part of that to me I is mean, if not. She rips, you, I mean, <laughs> she rips, one, she rips, she rips one, one in the middle of the night while he's sleeping. Oh, he's look, like, a skunk. <laughs> all of a sudden she snores, you know, like. It, that that's the biggest thing to me is what happens in those overnight hours. You know, it's not learning when he goes to work. It's not learning when he's away. It's those ten to twelve to fourteen hours that he is in the apartment, right? Because he's got to sleep six to eight hours, get ready. He wound, you know wound down before he went to bed. So it's like, how do you how do you function in ten to twelve hours? That yeah. that that's the hardest part of that to yeah. me is overnight and stuff like that. I mean, how do you feel about this reading it, Tom? No, I mean it, it's. It, I mean, it's so bizarre. I mean, the, just sitting there thinking about the fact that this guy, like, all of his his food kept disappearing, and it was like, you just imagine, like, you go to your refrigerator and you're like, did where, where where did my chicken fingers go? <laughs> and you're like, did I did I eat those last night? And and I and from reading the story and researching it, that's kind of what the guy was saying. Is he would sit there and he go, did I eat that? He's like, I don't remember eating what I put in there, but. It, maybe i did and then he put some more food in there you know eat and put some more food in there for leftovers and those leftovers would be gone and he was just like hey you know why why is my food keep i'm gonna have to check my closet where's where's my food going (laughs) well you know it's you buy a 12 pack of soda or something or beer or whatever and uh you only get to drink about seven or eight of them and you're like man inflation's got me they Uh, don't even have full 12 packs anymore that's right (laughs) That's hilarious. That, wanna, that's de- that. Like I said again, the, what I originally said. Props to her. That took skill for a year ago. Now I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm not saying like, yeah, everybody go t- go find somewhere and see how long you can hide in there. I'm just simply saying that took a lot of skill uh, to to kind of evade for over uh, over a year. What are we dubbing this? True stories you can't believe. Uh, truth is better. Truth is better than fiction. Truth is better than fiction. Yeah, you can't make that up. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Who do you want to have commentary from uh, our crowd out there? Anybody come in to offer I, a thought? I haven't seen anybody. Come. They There's were out Brooks, there listening. Cam, and Brant. They're out there yeah. listening to us. I don't. Know. I've probably bored. I'm them sure they. I probably enjoy bored it. them already. Uh, so Next. Which one do you want? You want the the one that's kind of the sad? sad? Yes. All right. <clears throat> Hold Play on. the violin. All right, Here now we, we go. got to get back to our listening skills. Here we go. All right. Again, these are these are true stories. This is one that is is a widely reported story. I, but once you hear it, you can only understand why the truth of it is because this is the person telling the story. Uh, so you can believe it or not. But anyway. In 2004, a senior, we'll call Trey, was finishing up at a college in Louisiana. He met another senior there, we'll call Shelly, and he immediately knew he was in love, and this was the woman he would marry. As Trey said, quote, she made my heart skip and my face red. I pursued her for months and dispatched a few jerk boyfriends before I finally won her over. Two years later, Trey and Shelly were married. Almost immediately, Shelly was pregnant with the couple's first child, a daughter. Trey had a great job. The job was doing so well that Shelly was able to stay home and take care of their daughter. A couple of years later, Shelly was pregnant again, and this time they had a son. Trey adored his kids, especially his son. Trey called his son, quote, the joy of my life. Trey would go into the kids' rooms every morning before he left work and doted on the two. In the evenings, the family would be together for sit-down dinners and play games. It seemed like the perfect life. 
One night, shortly after the birth of his son, Trey was lounging in his den watching television. Everything seemed normal, but as Trey glanced over to a lamp, something seemed odd. The lamp was blurry. He looked around the room, and everything else was fine, but the lamp remained blurry. Trey thought his eyes must be getting tired, so he brushed it off, but he continued to look at the lamp, which remained blurry. He finally turned off the TV, but this time when he looked at the lamp, it was not only blurry, but upside down. Trey described the lamp as, quote, square lamp base, red with gold trim and four legs and a white square shade. Trey didn't say anything to Shelly or the kids about this lamp because he didn't want to alarm them. He figured he would figure it out on his own. He continued staring at this lamp, transfixed at its appearance until it was finally time to go to bed. But Trey couldn't stop thinking about the lamp. So he got out of bed, went downstairs, and again became transfixed on this lamp, which was now not just blurry, but morphing into all sorts of different shapes. Shelly came down the next morning and found Trey passed out on the sofa. She woke Trey up, and Trey said he wasn't feeling good and would not be going to work that day. However, he never mentioned the lamp. Trey didn't go to work for the next three days as he remained transfixed on the lamp. Shelly became worried and continuously asked what was wrong, but Trey would never tell her about the lamp. Quote, I stopped eating. I left the couch only to use the bathroom at first, so soon I stopped that too as I wasn't eating or drinking, Trey said. Shelly was worried. Trey was spending all of his time staring at this lamp. At a point, Trey got to the point where he was unresponsive to his wife, and Shelly began calling a doctor to come and check on Trey. Suddenly, Trey noticed that the lamp was growing in size. It kept getting bigger and bigger. Still inverted in position, it grew to where it took up the entire perspective of the room. All Trey could see was the red of the lamp. All of a sudden, Trey began hearing voices, screams, and other odd noises along with a searing pain in his head. Trey opened his eyes and realized he was laying on the ground between two buildings on the campus of the college he had gone to. And there were all these people staring down at him, some freaking out. He was completely confused and started looking around for Shelly and his kids. At this time, a police officer came through the crowd, scooped Trey up, dragged him across the grass, put him into a police car. Still very confused, Trey asked the police officer what was going on. The officer informed Trey that he had been attacked and punched by a football player. Trey said the player was about 350 pounds while he was about 120 pounds. Along with being hit, Trey had also fallen in his head on the concrete, knocking him unconscious. Trey desperately asked the officer where Shelly and his kids were, but the officer didn't know what he was talking about. Then it clicked. The lamp wasn't real, but neither was Shelly and neither were the kids. Trey's entire life for the past 10 years was not real. It was all a hallucination while being knocked out from the attack. Trey said he went through about three years of horrid depression and grieved over the loss of his wife and children and dealing with the knowledge that they never existed. Trey made a full physical recovery from the attack, and while he's accepted the fact that the life that he knew was not real, he says he sometimes sees his son, quote, usually just a glimpse out of my peripheral vision. He is perpetually five years old, but I can never hear what he says. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's essentially like a just a un, a very descriptive dream, right? I mean, yeah, but the man lived a ten year ten years. Li- that's what's so crazy. He lived a ten year life with wife, kids, memory memories of ten years of a life. See that, it, that and that's it never, what I would, and it never existed. That's what I would question. I would say that you know, 
what kind of memories is he saying he has of 10 years? Like, like yeah. you know, you're not going to have the memory of going to a grocery store with his kids. But I mean, right? you, like, if you, like, yeah. anyone can envision like a marriage or, or something like that and, and daydream or dream about that. But so I don't know. I'm a skeptic. It's, it's an ongoing hallucination. Not, uh, not, not anymore. Yeah. I mean, once he it came, was though. Yeah. So the whole thing is because, he, like, what what the where Trey, our buddy Trey, yeah, is just staring at this lamp that's blurry, and he's fixated on it, and then he stops going to the bathroom, and he stops eating, and he stops drinking, and then he's not talking to Shelly, and he's not respond. I mean, yeah. that's just an ongoing hallucination. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the whole time he was just knocked unconscious. For ten years? No, no, no he no, he was no, he was no. only unconscious for a little bit of time, but he lived a, a ten minutes, yeah. yeah for a few minutes or when whatever. When he was unconscious, he lived a ten year. In his in his mind, he had a ten year marriage with two kids, family dinners. And he was birthdays. knocked unconscious because a football player that was three hundred and fifty pounds knocked him out, and yeah. while at college, he fell in love with Shelley. The the whole falling in love. He never had Shelley. He he was just. He was at college and got, got a beat fight, up. Got beat up, and in that part where he got knocked out, he formed a relationship with this girl. They got married. They had two kids. Lived a ten-year life. I mean, then yeah, I can't. Okay, I understand that. I can't. I mean, oh. if that's what he was says Shelley happened. Was Shelly real? Like was no. Shelly a real person? So there's no mm-hmm. Shelly at this college at all. He made Shelly. The, the the wife, the two kids, all a, a hallucination. A whole ten years of life, while being We're unconscious for a just a few minutes. Few minutes. I know none of y'all watching Naruto, but this happened in Naruto. It was a game. <laughs> this, this has been done before. It's called Genjutsu, which, funny enough, means reality in Japanese. Okay, so, I like it. You're you teaching know. us things. Yeah. Barry's good for the commentary. Go. I brought Barry into the I, studio. And it's sad because I mean the guy was actually like depressed. He went through. He says that he went through three years of just terrible depression after the fact after the fact because i mean he was great he knew 10 years <coughs> excuse me he knew 10 so, years he had 10 years of a memory of a wife and two kids and then once it realized that that was all like not there he grieved of them as if it was a death because he knew 10 years of them and and that was no more. Now. Just the brain getting knocked unconscious as you're going into that state. Is that where the like now the 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 lamp comes into play? The the lamp was just part. I, I the lamp was just. Where's the lamp? The, technically, the sun. Because he said he was staring at. Is it like staring and it at could, it? it, and it? I think that's his real self, maybe staring at the sun because it's be. really bright. It was yeah. blurry and changing shapes with people walking over, right. blocking the sun. That's why it's changing shapes. Yeah, I, th- sure. I, I think the lamp the whole time was the sun. I think you might be on to something. Be. Took my now. I said now twice, and you're just gonna sit up here and just take my <laughs> <Yeah>. whole thing. <laughs> I thought I was gonna be really profound with that too. Both of you could be profound. I like that. Okay. All right. So now, do you want uh, strange or do you want famous? What do you want, strange. Barry? I'll let you pick. I mean, Barry's running down the strange. Let's yeah, let's go, go strange. And I'll let Barry talk first. Okay. Sure so I'm here we go. Here we go. All right. Let's, a strange story. Strange. Uh, not really strange, but it's uh, make you think a little bit. 
and I'm not good at that, so let's get to it. <laughs> uh, all right. On March 1st, 1950, all was quiet in the small South Nebraska town of Beatrice. In the town, Westside Baptist Church sat empty, but by 7.20 p.m. that evening, the church would come alive with the enchanting sounds of the church's choir as they took part in their weekly rehearsal. Practice always began promptly at 7.20, and choir members would typically begin arriving about 7.15 to begin preparations. Reverend Walker, Walker Kempler had gone to the church early that afternoon to pair, prepare for the practice. He lit the furnace, handled some odds and ends, and then went home for dinner. At 7.10, when it was time for the reverend to return to the church with his wife and daughter, Marilyn Ruth, it turned out Marilyn's dress was soiled. They waited while Mrs. Klimple ironed another dress for Marilyn. LaDonna Vandergrift, a high school sophomore, was having trouble with a geometry problem. She knew she had choir practice soon, but stayed a little longer to finish the troublesome math problem. Royana Estes was ready to leave, but her car would not start. She and her sister called LaDonna and asked her to pick them up, but Lana was still busy working her geometry assignment, and the Estes sisters would have to wait to be picked up. Royona's sister, Sadie, also couldn't drive because she, too, had been having car trouble all day, and it wouldn't start. Mrs. Leonard, Mrs. Leonard Schuster would normally arrive at 7.20 with her small daughter, Susan. But today, Mrs. Schuster had gone to, get her mother, had gone to her mother's house to prepare for a missionary meeting. Herbert Kempf was the church lathe operator. He would have normally been early arriving to the church, but he had to put off an important letter and he was trying, that he was trying to send, and he would be late. Stenographer Joyce Black was feeling, quote, just plain lazy and decided to stay in her warm house until the last minute on this cold evening. Machinist Harvey All was taking care of his two sons. His wife was away, and he was going to take the two boys to choir practice with them, but was so caught up in conversation with his kids that by the time he looked at his watch, he was going to be late to the practice. Marilyn Paul was the pianist. She was going to arrive about a half hour early, get some practice in before the choir arrived. However, she took a nap after dinner, and she was already late by the time her mother woke her up. Mrs. Effie Paul was the choir director. She was the mother of the pianist Marilyn and was late because her daughter was. Lucille Jones and Dorothy Wood were high school students, friends, and neighbors. They normally went to practice together. Lucille was caught up in a radio show from 7 to 7.30 and broke her habit of being on time to practice to hear the end of the show. Dorothy stayed behind to wait on Lucille. At 7.25 p.m., a loud roar echoed across the town of Beatrice. The Westside Baptist Church had blown up. Walls fell, roofs collapsed, the church was obliterated in the fiery blast caused by a natural gas leak outside that was ignited by the church's furnace. The blast was so large it shattered nearby windows and even knocked a radio station off the air. Firefighters and townspeople desperately responded to the scene, knowing sure well victims were trapped, injured, or worse, dead. But there would be no victims to save on this cold evening in Beatrice, Nebraska. But not because of death, but because the church was empty. No one was inside the church at 725 when the blast took place, five minutes after church choir practice would have normally began. Through a mix of random, different coincidences, all 15 members of the choir, a choir that was never late, were nowhere near the church when the explosion happened. Well, that's easy. That's the Lord. <laughs> that one, yeah, saving lives. I like that one. That, I'm okay with that. I mean, the, they're, the ch- they're never late, but I'm okay with that. I mean, the chances. 
the chances that all 15 people had random coincidences that kept them out of that church and it blew up I, once you started to say where everyone was and after you did about three or four that were late right. i was like I, I saw where this was going oh yeah um yeah this is uh that's like an act of god for sure um that's that is pretty that's a good weird though that that could have been yeah, one we're okay end with on. that yeah yeah um so how did the church blow up uh there was a natural gas leak outside and uh well they they suspect there was a natural gas leak outside and the furnace which has an open flame they figure that natural gas and that open flame of the furnace met and it uh blew the church up and praise be, no one was there. Wow. Literally five minutes after that Beatrice, party. Beatrice, Nebraska, 1950. Yeah. yeah, 1950. Five, <laughs> minute, five minutes after the choir would have been in, had started practice. And, they, and they, never, they were never late. That's the thing they always talk about in this story. Is this, this was a prompt choir. This was, these were not people that were typically right. late. I mean, these were people that were early. They were always there early to do stuff. And through a random act, all fifteen had something happen. Yeah, and then an over some of those. So, but where were those? Remind me of some of the highlights of where those people were. Somebody was waiting on a ride. Like one was waiting on a ride and couldn't go because the other. I think geometry is the real savior. There you go. (laughs) Uh, She was going to give like three people. No one can't say geometry. (laughs) Geometry doesn't (laughs) save lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had you had a girl that was working on the geometry problem. The The radio is off the air. Uh, uh, A girl's listening to a radio show. Um, See, that's sports. Yeah. In 1950, you know, those were the type. You didn't That's watch. What, you didn't have a TV yeah. show. Yeah, you had the radio shows. Uh, one lady just decided not to go. She just she. It was cold outside. She was in her warm house. She's yeah. like, you know what? I'm just gonna wait until the last minute to go. How about that? Uh, you had the you had the dad that just got in a conversation with his two kids and was like, oh, holy I crap! I'm time. I lost yeah. track of time. I'm late. I gotta go. That's crazy. Yeah. I like it. The the girl, the reverend, the girl's the uh, the daughter's dress had some sort of a stain on it, and they decided to take her dress off and iron a new dress, and that prevented them from getting there. Took early. some time to get the, yeah, fifteen people, fifteen, 15 stories, fifteen alibi. I mean, that's that's crazy. Whew. All right, our last one. All right, here what we are we go. saying again? Truth too good to be true. What? <laughs> what, what truth, truth is, is better than fiction. Truth is better, is better than, than, fiction. than fiction. That's right. All right. <laughs> Number four. This is famous people. Famous people. I wish people could have seen that eye roll. That was one of your greatest <laughs> eye rolls that has ever taken yeah, place before. Yeah, you not remembering a simple phrase that Tom <laughs> had. All right. Number four. All right. Here we go. Are you ready, Barry? Oh, I'm ready. All right. In 1964... A shy 21-year-old college kid in Wisconsin named Harry decided to take an acting class. He'd always been interested in acting and hoped that this new venture would help him get over his social awkwardness. Harry immediately fell in love with acting and also met his future wife in the class. It all led to Harry to pursue acting once he left college. After graduation, he and his girlfriend got married and left for California. Once in Hollywood, Harry auditioned for the Columbia Pictures' new talent program, which was designed to help new actors and actresses get their foot in the door for movie and TV roles. After signing a small contract with Columbia Pictures, Harry found that no one wanted him. He got very few roles, and the ones he landed were non-speaking roles. In 1966, Harry finally got a speaking role in a movie, but it was minor. 60-second scene where Harry came on scene with a piece of paper, called for a particular guest in a hotel, handed over the paper, and left the scene. It, It was a minor and forgettable scene in the movie, but it gave Harry hope that his big break would be coming soon. 
After filming, Harry went back to the Columbia Studios, uh, back to the Columbia Pictures studio to meet with the producer of the new talent program who had seen Harry's brief role. The producer sat Harry down and basically told him acting wasn't for him. He tells him he just isn't very good. You don't have the look for TV or movie, and you're just not a very good actor. And he fires Harry. Harry signed a similar new talent contract with Universal Studios, but just like at Columbia, he never could get the big roles. And just like at Columbia, Universal told him he just didn't have the look or the skills to succeed in Hollywood. By the mid-1970s, Harry, now in his mid-30s, still wanted to be an actor, but it just wasn't happening for him, and he had to find a way to make a steady living. So he began to do carpentry work and hoped that that would be a way to make a living. Harry, though, had no training or experience as a carpenter, so he got all the books he could find on carpentry and began studying and working on personal projects. Eventually, he felt confident enough that he began reaching out to people he knew around Los Angeles to hire him to do carpentry work. Over time, Harry became good enough at woodwork, and he was hired by famous Hollywood stars to be their carpenter. He was even dubbed the Carpenter of the Stars. In 1976, Harry was full into his carpentry work when a close friend and casting director, Fred Roos, called and said he had a great opportunity for him. Harry, though, had all but given up on acting. After all, carpentry work was going fine and he was making a decent living at it. Plus, by this time, Harry had a wife and two sons to look after, so the steady work and money as a carpenter was what he needed. Harry appreciated the offer, but he declined. Fred, however, wouldn't take no for an answer and pressed here to take advantage of this chance. Fred explained that a very talented film director was casting for roles for an upcoming movie. However, unlike most directors, this one did not do individual auditions, but rather he would gather groups of people to audition together. The hope was the group of actors together to see who had chemistry with one another. All the groups were set, but one group was missing a male actor as someone had dropped out. Fred reached out to this director and told him he knew of this guy who had done some small-time acting he thought was very talented. The director agreed to allow Harry to come in and read for the lines with the group, but wanted Fred to stress to Harry that he was not auditioning for this role or any role in this movie. He was there only to read the lines to fill out this missing spot so the others in the group could do their audition. Harry was not happy about this. He felt Fred had volunteered him to do this without asking. Plus, why would he go and do this when the director clearly said there was no chance to land any sort of a role? It seemed like it'd be a waste of time for Harry. However, Fred convinced Harry it would be a good idea to at least go and read the lines, meet some new people in Hollywood, make some connections, even if it only benefited his carpentry job. And Harry finally gave in and agreed to go. Once there, Harry was given the script and was reminded numerous times that he was only to read the lines on the script. Don't act. Don't try to audition as if this is your part. Only read the lines that are on the script. Harry sat down with the script and the group began reading. However, Harry just wasn't into it. He began coming off as grumpy and sarcastic and generally bitter that he was even there. His non-caring attitude caught the attention of the director because the part Harry was reading called for a very non-caring, nonchalant male full of bravado who just didn't seemingly care about anyone around him. Harry and the group spent the entire day reading these lines from the script and unknown to Harry, he was doing an amazing job with it reading his part even though he didn't realize his normal self was what was catching the director's eye. At the end of the day, Harry was done and was about to head on home when the director stopped him and said, Hold on, you're the guy I need for this part. We want to hire you to be the character in this movie. That film director was none other than George Lucas. Harry is Harrison Ford, and the role that Harrison got that day 
was Han Solo in the original Star Wars. <laughs> I'll be damned. <laughs> All right. That'll do. <laughs> I think I think Brant knew that because Brant came in here for yeah he thumbs up because Brant knew. Well, I'm glad he didn't ruin yeah. it. <laughs> uh-huh. He comes in halfway through the story. It's like Harrison Ford, Han Solo. I already know this. Shut up, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. That's carpentry. Uh, yeah, he's a carpenter. I had I had to think that it was some big actor because you said it, hey, it was famous people right. but I, I kept operating under the name Harry and I'm like, like I is, can't think of Harry Harry Belafonte <laughs> I kept, that's what I was thinking the whole time I'm like he's, he's a famous Harry yeah I wasn't going to spoil it but like when when you said carpenter I knew that he was a carpenter and that he got an I knew he wanted to be an actor couldn't yeah. and then became a carpenter and I, I couldn't remember how he got the role of Han Solo but I have heard that story before there you go I'm curious why for Han, so now from the Star Wars perspective, right? How that all lined up to be the case, but what do you mean? Good for I mean, so he's just reading a line, right? right? That they that his buddy needs him to be mean. Was that what it was? No, not no, a lot and non caring, just, and just grumpy. He just okay. he didn't he that, didn't want I see <laughs> I see Han Solo grumpy from time to time. That's what I'm trying to pick up on is how that all connected. Well, I mean, so. They told him don't. They told him don't even try to act. Don't try. So he didn't want to be there. He just didn't care. It was just he was just reading these lines like you know whatever. I made a commitment. I, I, I made I'll a commitment. I'm here. I'll read these lines. We'll get this over yeah. with. You know, screw all you people and that are Fred here. I don't convinced him to care. do this. Yeah, Fred convinced him to go and just read the lines and make some connections. And he was there. He didn't want to be there. Didn't care to be there. Didn't care about anybody that he was hanging out with. He just and he was reading those lines in that same way. Well, that's what George Lucas needed for Han Solo, and the guy was doing it. Didn't even realize he was doing it. He was just kind of being an a hole. And like that. that's inspirational. Right truth there. truly yeah. is better than fiction. I mean, the, he was just literally just being a jerk. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh my goodness! Like that's <laughs> that's, that's what we're looking for. That's Han Solo." <laughs> <laughs> and they, and and now he is Harrison Ford. The like famous actor has gone on that was his first major role he had uh i i think the the part where uh, the part where he had the small speaking role i think was american graffiti it didn't say it but he was in american graffiti um but uh yeah i mean he never had any sort of like other than that little 60 second speaking role in whatever movie that was which i think might have been american graffiti um he uh yeah he had no speaking roles of any sort really until star wars and then that's where the world was introduced to harrison ford how about it it's funny because i'm trying to think of a harrison ford movie where he isn't like a grumpy man and it's very hard <laughs> to not see him in that role like he's just well because i mean all the indiana jones stuff i mean there's that that real rough kind of yeah. gruff side to him in that too so he was an american graffiti he, he's got a few other imdb credits which again could be non-speaking roles because right. he's got about seven or eight before american graffiti uh, or maybe 10 before American Graffiti, but then that, something called The Conversation in 1974, a couple TV movies right? Uh, in the mid-70s, and then Star Wars in 77. Yeah. But yeah, it was all all of his previous stuff was through that new talent agency, and uh, they were really just non-speaking roles. They were just background roles, like, you know, but he was never getting his big break until Star Wars. And then listen to this stretch for our guy starting in 1980. So obviously the first one, first Star Wars was in 77. He then went Star Wars, 
Episode 5 in 80. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81. Blade Runner in 82. Uh, the next Star Wars in 83. The next Indiana Jones in 1984. Good run for no, him. That's five straight acting credits, one a year for five years. Yeah. That were just absolutely incredible. Wow. And both Columbia and Universal New Talent told him, he was like, dude, you're not, you don't look just good enough. Just get away from here. Yeah, pretty much like you have no future in Hollywood. You need to go away. You you don't have the look for TV. You don't have the acting skills for it. This is just not for you. So go build cabinets, make some money, <laughs> you know, working with wood. But Hollywood is not for you. We're going to do this again. This and is this is Harrison Ford. Truth is uh, greater than fiction. That was good, Tom. Truth. Well done. Yeah. You did some good prep. I enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed that. What do you think, Ryan? I enjoyed it, too. There's, there's some great stories out there if you're oh, willing yeah. to dig for them. My favorite... If I'm given a favorite of the day, uh, it's still the woman living in Almost someone's woman, closet yeah. for a full year. That was no. that was insane. I've actually known that to happen in real life, where someone like lives in someone's closet and they didn't know they're there. Well, this is real. Life. That's yeah. what these yeah. stories yeah. are. These are okay. true stories. Yeah, these are, yeah, these are Harry, true stories. Harrison Ford is is real. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like it's like I don't know why I'm like thinking it's like living in someone's closet. Like, no way. Like real life, but then I'm like, oh yeah, that actually happened. Yeah. And then I, I missed that story earlier when you told. Yeah. So the, the so the guy was uh, uh, the guy kept having food missing from his refrigerator. And, and for months, he couldn't figure out. He couldn't remember. He was like, you know, am I eating this stuff? Or But, it, like, all food kept disappearing. And then he would show up at the house, and there would be, like, uh, stuff on the counter that he put somewhere. It would be at a different spot. And just these weird things that went on for a month, they just could not for the life of him figure out and thought it was a burglar. Um, but uh, he, he would lock his doors and windows, but he would come home uh, from work and stuff would be missing. And so he couldn't figure it out and finally put security cameras up. And like shortly after that, he sees this woman coming through his house, getting food, sit on the sofa, watch TV, clean up, put everything away and then disappear off the camera. The police got there and, and looked around. They found all the doors were locked, all the windows were locked, and they were like, you know, nobody broke into your house. There's there's no signs that anybody broke in. The guy was like, that, there's there's a woman in my house. Like I saw her on the camera, and yeah, they found this homeless fifty eight year old homeless woman had been living in a little crawl space above this guy's bedroom closet for over a year. It's terrifying. She had been using his shower and his bathroom, eating yeah, his food. It doesn't sound far off the grudge if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. uh. Oh, that was great. Tom, thank you for being here, man. Oh this man, was a I, good uh, good show today. Well, we'll definitely. I I've got plenty more stories I can I okay, can transcribe I like and it. dig up. So there's some good truth is better than fiction stuff out Barry, there. Barry, I appreciated your commentary. Oh yeah, I'm glad you invited me in here. I was like, these are these are quality stories, right? <laughs> yeah. Here. Uh, Ryan, we'll see you again on the show on Friday. Okay. Just make sure you check your closet space. Always got to okay? do that. That's what <laughs> first thing I'm going to do as soon as I walk in. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. We appreciate you for listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Thanks to Brendan Marcello for joining us on the program. For Barry Blanchard, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.